Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The Internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com When three former employees filed a class action lawsuit last week against Google, alleging discrimination against women, it opened the latest chapter in what's become a running story featuring accusations of sexism in the tech industry. Uber is still reeling from a sexual harassment scandal that helped force out its CEO. And it is into this climate that Ellen Powell launches her new memoir. Powell, you may recall, was the central character in a 2015 trial that riveted Silicon Valley. For years, she'd worked at the venture capital powerhouse Kleiner Perkins, except she found it hard to get her work done because... I wasn't being invited to meetings. I wasn't being included on email threads. I wasn't invited to the all-male ski trip. And eventually I realized it was happening to other women in terms of opportunities it made me realize that there was a much bigger problem and the problem wasn't with me. So Powell sued. She accused her bosses of sex discrimination. She lost, but the case continues to reverberate in Silicon Valley and beyond. Her book about the experience is called Reset. And I asked Powell to tell me about one particular episode. You were on a corporate jet with clients, and there's this whole etiquette to who sits where, and you decided, what the heck, I'm, I'm going to take the power seat. What happened? I, didn't, I took, the, like, the fourth most powerful seat, so I wasn't <laughs> okay. taking the most powerful seat. But it, it, there was a conversation, and it was very inappropriate for the workplace and made me uncomfortable. They talked about porn stars. They talked about, you know, women in a way that was very objectifying and, you know, shows that were about people competing in sex acts to get a movie. It was a very um, male conversation. It was all men other than you on this plane? It was all men other than me, all uh, white men other than me. Huh. Did it go through your mind, I should say something, I should speak up? I was 
just wondering, like, how much longer on this flight? Um, How do I get out of here? There's nothing I can say to stop this. And let me just try to get out of here as soon as possible. What was the tipping point that led you to decide, not only am I not putting up with this anymore, but I'm going to sue? I got to a point where I had tried every internal avenue. Like I had written a formal complaint that I had given to all the managing partners and the chief operating officer. I had brought up these issues one-on-one with each of the people that I thought could have an impact. I had, you know, tried to rally some other women to raise issues, and it was a dead end at every point. And not only that, but people didn't seem to really feel like there was a problem. They didn't seem to be listening at all. And when I saw what was happening to other women within the firm, I thought this behavior is really not fair, and it's not appropriate, and it's got to end. So let me fast forward to your decision to sue. You sought $16 million in lost wages. It went to trial. Did you get support from colleagues, female or otherwise? At one point, it became too hard for anybody to support me. They really closed ranks. And I understand, like, this is your job. This is your career. And this is a very powerful firm. What is the upside to trying to help? If you were treated so badly in the job, why stay there so long? You were at Kleiner Perkins for seven years. I felt really lucky to be able to work with entrepreneurs. In tech, there's been such a change in the last 10, 15 years in all the technology that brings you, you know, all of these apps on the phone. That's all new. And that all started, you know, while I was at Kleiner Perkins. So you loved the work. Yeah, I love the work. I love working with entrepreneurs. I loved helping bring companies and products and services to market and watching, you know, entrepreneurs develop into these amazing CEOs who are um, running these bigger and better teams and building these amazing products that were changing people's lives. I mean, it was, you know, it's that that 50% of the job made up for the other 50%. Well, let me ask you how you measure what has changed. Do you think starting a tech company, running one, funding one, is is that any less of a man's game than it was, say, five years ago? It's a really good question because I don't think it is. I think the same people are still running things. The same people are still making the same decisions. I think they're starting to understand that that is not working for the majority of people. But when I look at what companies are doing today, most of them have these tepid diversity solutions. It's PR oriented and it's not really changing how they're actually operating, whether their culture is inclusive or not. Barring discrimination that would be outright illegal, of course, if if venture capital firms, if, if tech companies are making money, which is their goal, why should they change? And they're making plenty of money, as you know. Yeah, I, th- I think the most important reason is that you have this moral obligation to take these huge opportunities you have of making millionaires and billionaires and allocating them fairly across the population to the people who are qualified and equally willing to put in the blood, sweat, and tears to help your company succeed. I think the other reasons are we've seen that companies that don't have uh, diverse teams end up building products that aren't great for the whole population. And there's bias built into the product. And finally, we've seen there's like research upon research upon research that shows that when you have 
a diverse team, you actually have better financial performance, you make better decisions, you're able to attract a more diverse team going forward. People aren't going to come to companies now that have a completely homogenous team. You describe yourself in the book as a total introvert, as someone who really likes to keep your private life private. What have you learned from being out there in the middle of this circus the last five years? I still don't like it. I think I've learned that. I, yeah, I'm very much an introvert, and it's really not comfortable. Post book tour, you're that's it. You're done. Uh, yeah, all the reasons that I have never wanted to be a CEO, and all the reasons I've never wanted the spotlight, remain true. And uh, for me, this is kind of an indication of how important I think this issue is. How important it is to change this industry that I'm out here and talking about it, and you know, putting myself out there. Ellen Powell, thank you. Thank you. Ellen Powell, who sued for gender discrimination and writes about it in her new memoir, Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change. Black brother. Black brother to hell. And right now, all new at 6, an exclusive ABC 15 investigation. These women are alleging years of extreme racial discrimination inside the city of Phoenix. They claim the city did nothing except turn their backs on them. But top city officials deny that. So who's right? Here's ABC 15 investigator Dave Biscovic. It's here at the Phoenix Water Services Department, where Laura Serta and Angelica Bruner say they suffered years and years of hateful racial discrimination. It's been hell. Disappointment, hell. Disappointment, hell. I'm sorry. And tears. New discrimination complaints just filed with the federal government. Ms. Bruner and Ms. Serta say over the years, one employee has openly and repeatedly called them this. But your husbands are African-American. Yes. And these women are taking their case to the feds because they also claim they repeatedly complained to the city of Phoenix management and even the city equal opportunity department only to have their complaints uniformly ignored. Even worse, they say, multiple city officials told them they didn't have a case because they were Hispanic, not black. They just didn't help us in any which way. It's the job of the Equal Opportunity Department, or EOD, to investigate discrimination within the city. And what these women are saying must be sensitive for Phoenix. Because on the 15th floor of City Hall, we ended up sitting face-to-face -face with Don Logan, Phoenix's EOD director. They feel like this has been swept under the rug at some level by someone and, and, and dismissed and not taken seriously. What's your response to that? Well, the first thing, um, we take these matters seriously. And we investigate every aspect of a complaint that is brought to our attention. In this July letter, the EOD department dismissed two complaints filed by Angelica Bruner. Why? Mr. Logan says there's a 180-day limit for complaints. We have to vet that through. The who, the what, the when, and the where. In this case, we got nothing from this employee that would indicate that this incident occurred within that 180-day period. If they missed the EOD deadline, records show the women certainly didn't miss reporting it to their supervisors and HR officials. ABC 15 obtained notes from a water services supervisor. They show many concerns were raised dating back years. You see, it's been documented time and time and time again, and just nothing happened. 
And Dave, I obviously that's a document that hasn't been shared with me, okay. uh, so I, I'm not familiar with that document. After the interview, a city spokesperson followed up saying investigators did have a copy of those documents. And Mr. Logan says since Ms. Serta and Ms. Bruner filed new complaints with the feds, the city has reopened its investigation. So this transcends from a closed case to an open, active case. And what makes all of this even more alarming? Inside the Water Services Department, there's been another recent case of similar racist behavior. You guys aren't the only case of this going on. No, sir. Records show in February 2016, a white male employee who's married to an African-American woman walked out to his assigned water services truck and found the same exact racist term written into the dust on the window. Um, when I did get a copy of this and I read it, um, I went to my office, shut the door, and I cried for about a good hour and a half. It's clear the emotion is still raw, because watch what happens when these women talk about the promise they made three years ago. We did make a promise to each other that we would fight. We have to be the voice of the people that were never heard. And before we could ask another question. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just that we've stuck together this long, and it's it was like making a promise to like your sister or your your kids, you know, will be okay, you know, and we said that every day. We will be okay. You guys didn't know each other before all of this, huh? Mm-mm. This is what brought us together. together. <laughs> right now, an outside attorney is doing a full review of how Phoenix handles discrimination cases. And city officials say they are reconsidering that 180-day time limit for complaints. As for the women in this story, they've hired an attorney and they're considering a lawsuit. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, September 21st, 2017. So I have been told this is Thursday's weekly workplace racism forum. If we have non-white people, black people, anywhere in the known universe. If you are employed, have been employed, I am very certain you have had some issues directly, indirectly with racism, white supremacy, dial in, share your experiences, especially if you have figured out some things that work well, uh, meaning you figured out this is what to do so that you are not abused, not falsely accused, denied promotions, raises. You get a great office. You are unmolested. You get to do your work. You get all your promotions on time and you get to hang out, do your job until you are ready to quit or retire or, you know, whatever. Ride off into the sunset, as they say. If you have figured out how to do that as a non-white person, especially a black person, you should be one of the first folks to dial in. The number six. Four one seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. Number again six four one seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four. Nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. Certainly, 
you are listening and you have a problem, uh, you've been having some difficulties on the job for sure, dial in as well. If you would like to get feedback uh, from listeners, if you are concerned about dialing in, being identified, you can drop an email until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com. Drop me an email and I can uh, read your commentary on, uh, while we're broadcasting and folks can, if it's an observation or a suggestion, uh, or if you have your own situation that you want to touch on, I can read it and get folks uh, commentary as we go. Uh, one thing that I, I did want to share this segment, non-white female, Elaine Powell, uh, she was talking about her experience in the tech industry, non-white, non-black female, giving her experience uh, in the tech industry. I think every time when they're having those segments, it should be pointed out. It shouldn't be male dominated. The males are making it. It should be white men emphasized white men. Since there's uh, so much conviction that black male privilege exists and that black males are participating in patriarchy and somehow black males and or non-white males in total end up getting lumped in when they're talking, having these discussions about males making all the decisions. Uh, every time it should be very explicit that this is white men, because I'm real sure that they're not talking about black people causing all of these problems in the tech industry because they don't hire a lot of Negroes, male or female, unless I've been misinformed. That's number one. The other thing that sticks out, and this is years of just paying attention, it seems to be permissible. You can talk about sexism in the workplace and particularly white women being victims of sexism. You can talk about that all day long. You can get mainstream coverage. You cannot talk about racism against black people in the workplace. That seems to be what what it is, because they're not they were not talking about racism in that segment at all. They used a lot of those euphemism, uh, the rhetoric uh, talking about diversity and what have you. And it's male dominated, all the problems that females have to go through. And I mean, injustice is injustice. But let me be clear. The conclusion I have come to the system of white supremacy, abusing and dominating everybody who is classified as non-white, especially Males and females classified as black. That is the dominant form of injustice on the planet by far, not even close. And any sort of conversation that is leading or taking you away from that conclusion and particularly anything that suggests, well, white women might be victims, too. And that's what that right there is racism, white supremacy, alive and in action. Continuing, I thought it was really important. I attached the image with the description that's posted at Facebook, uh, they had a report that came out this week. This is not news. This is not anything earth shattering, but they said that uh, what the terms that they use bias against hiring African-Americans hasn't budged in 25 years. That's the way that they phrased it. I'm reading from Louisiana Weekly, black publication. They write rates of discrimination against African-Americans in field experiments of hiring did not decline from 1990 to 2015, according to the largest and most comprehensive meta-analysis of its kind. It's often suggested that prejudice and discrimination are fading out over time through a gradual process of liberalization of attitudes, says Lincoln Quillen, Quillen, Quillian, senior author of the study and professor of sociology of Northwestern University, Chicago. 
but we found striking stability and discrimination against African-Americans. I'm going to reread that last sentence again because this report was published and talked about across a spectrum of other publications, but that last sentence very important, so I'll read it again. We found striking stability and discrimination against African-Americans, period. Now, the title of this report at other publications, uh, Forbes magazine, the title there was Hiring Bias Blacks and Latinos Face Hasn't Improved in 25 Years. Now I'm going to go back to the other report at the Louisiana Weekly and continue reading from the sentence that I just read twice. The researchers found some evidence that discrimination declined during this period for Latinos, although the small number of field experiments, including Latinos, means the trend results are not highly certain. The results suggest we need to realize direct discrimination on the basis of race in hiring still exists and is not something that the country and is something the country needs to confront. I will stop there just in my opinion. Once again, we've talked about this before, lumping in quote unquote Latinos. This is another part of confusion. I have said consistently these terms should not be used. Latino, Hispanic, all of that. This is spreading confusion. These are not racial classifications. The main cons or the problem is white people, white, non-white. Very simple. Are you classified as white? And then we can get into all the other later. Are you classified as white? Uh, and there are a lot of individuals who are classified as white and they happen to have been born in Puerto Rico, Mexico, Cuba, Argentina. They happen to speak Spanish. They're still classified as white. Continue. I did think this post. I uh, posted it on my Facebook page. I can tweet it out as well. Well, some interesting information for people who like to have this type of data on hand. Uh, but I did the most important thing, in my opinion, I thought, again, that lumping in of, quote unquote, Latinos uh, and as though they are mistreated in the same way as black people. That term shouldn't be used, in my opinion. Uh, some of the content that folks wanted to share uh, and the term that was being used in the second clip was nigger lover. That was what they were being called. And apparently there was a pattern of, of that term being used in the workplace. And I think that term Hispanic was used again in that segment. Uh, we had one person who wrote a report in before we even got started today. I'll read their uh, segment. Uh, let's see person wrote, I was listening to the compensatory call-in, and the first clip was about Nearest Green. Uh, this was the black male, enslaved black male who did the Jack Daniels whiskey recipe, and it's not credited. We played a segment on that a while back. Just so happens that my supervisor is one of those descendants that went to Tennessee for the Jack Daniels event. My supervisor was able to get the company to pay for her daughter's college tuition when their only offer was a couple months supply of some whiskey. She managed to turn a tacky offer into something constructive. Was that an example of black self-respect? I would say absolutely. <laughs> and, and even look at that like that uh, for this massive globally renowned whiskey company uh, where they've made all of this money uh, and now reports that they've made all of this money at the expense and exploitation of a black person, which is that is rife uh, throughout the history of uh, black labor relations worldwide for the last, you know, several centuries anyway. Uh, but to take that and no, as opposed to getting more of your poisons to destroy my body and mind, how about 
you fund education for my offspring? That would be grand. Maybe they can display some more of that black ingenuity and keep the proceeds for themselves this time around. Study economics, why don't you? Grand, black self-respect in my opinion. Uh, The number again, 641-715-3640 and the code 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Question I'm throwing out in general. Excuse Question I'm throwing out in general. For people in a workplace setting who have some understanding of codification, right? You know, you, whatever, whatever you agree with or don't agree with in terms of views that are presented on this program or anybody else who is talking about counter-racism and what we should be doing. For people who understand that, what are some of the main things that prohibit you or inhibit you from carrying out practicing consistently counter-racism on the job? And I mean anything. If it's memories of times that you practiced counter-racism and thinking that it, and if it's a time that you practiced counter-racism and it didn't work out well, it didn't have uh, the result that you hoped, and that now has you a little bit hesitant to practice counter-racism again, if that's what it is, that would be great. I just think that would be helpful to know some of the things that kind of stop us from going ahead and carrying out counter-racism as we see it in the workplace. I think that might be helpful to identify some of those things and maybe even come up with some strategies to help move that aside. I think uh, at least my conclusion, being codified tends to be much more helpful. We're supposed to be developing a counter-racist code that solves problems without creating new problems. If your counter-racism code is accurate, you should, in fact, that's the best place to practice counter-racism is in the workplace. That's the place that it should be most useful. It should be most applicable. So if you're not utilizing it there, why not? If people have comments on that, that would be great. And again, remind folks, this is not for spectators. Uh, I know it is, we're pretty much at fall. So all of the grand television options should be back for Thursday night viewing, Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, whole nine. I think they got sporting activities, everything. Uh, If you are just tuning in to be entertained by troubles black people are having on the job, that is not what it is for. This is uh, for that is not what this is for. You should find something else to do with your time and energy. If you are a black person, I submit, man, there is no way you can be working right now, have had a job, have any sort of work history and have nothing to say on workplace racism. That is not possible. Dr. Welsing encouraged us to make sure we are not neglecting this area of people activity, talking about what's happening on our jobs. It is crucial. Uh, White people, racists, they go to work on us a good 40 hours a week, maybe even more, depending on what your work schedule is. Very important to dissect what they're doing and to try to develop strategies to neutralize their activity in those areas. That said, the number again, 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Feel free to participate. Uh, 
Can I be heard? Yes, sir, firefighter. Uh, Gus, uh, what was that question again? I, I have I, I have it down probably about ninety percent, but I, before I talk, I want to make sure that I got you straight on what you're you're asking. Uh, what are some of the things that keep us from practicing counter racism code as we understand it, whatever code that we have? What are some of the things that keep us from practicing that our counter racist code on the job? Okay, uh, first I would say that there shouldn't be anything uh, to stop stop one, a, a, a non-white victim of racist white supremacy to not practice some sort of codification simply because uh, we're under a global system of racist white supremacy and it controls all nine areas of activity. Uh, it, so therefore... Uh, now, what may what may cause some uh, intrepidation on it would be because that victim applied something and it didn't work. It didn't work for whatever reason. That that mean that just simply means that your your codified understanding is not up to the level that. Anyway, this is how I would think that 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 my, my codified understanding is not up to the level that it should be. So it's, it's, it's a constant experimentation, uh, that one has to, uh, uh, practice on a, on a daily level of going on something that's called a job. Uh, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Uh, uh, and as you, as you progress, through the time and years that you are employed, uh, you perceivably, you get better at it. You get better at, in other words, I know, I know this don't work. So I'm going to go to something else. I'm not going to try this again. And even if you have to literally write, write this notations down, uh, it would be correct in doing so. Uh, and that's also something from experience. I would say myself and it was at least two other people that I know of that we as individuals applied codified understanding because we were going, we were going to get challenged. We were going to get challenged directly by white people because not so much about what we were doing on the job. We were doing some things off the job that was getting in the newspapers, uh, that was getting around Miami Dade County, and uh, so we were going to get challenged. Now, that, that, the good side of it was at least they knew, at least it was understood uh, on who uh, the retired firefighter, as uh, you guys called me, uh, was before I went to a station. And that was good for me, you know, as far as that concern. But once again, I'll go back to what I openly said, that is that I think uh, that is something that's essential to apply and it should be no reason to stop. Now you, you may have some, you may have some failures in the process, but that just simply tells you to don't go that, go down that route again uh, and apply something else. Keep doing it is what I'm saying. And I hope I answered uh, your question. I think that will qualify as a satisfactory answer, sir. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, 
I'll give context, the reason, or what prompted me to ask that question. I was speaking with a non-white person, victim of racism, and they were saying that on the job, they they understood counter-racism. They've listened to the program and read about it, what have you, thought about it for years. And they said, I understand, you know, things to, to do in the workplace, things not to do, what we should be doing, asking questions, right? Some of the fundamentals. Uh, but they said specifically around like idle chit chat, we'll call it, where we're not having conversation about the workplace. We're just talking about random things. You know, what did you have for dinner? Uh, what's your favorite cartoon? Just, you know, silliness on saying that I know codification is to avoid that sort of thing. But I feel like, you know, if I do that, it might cause me some problems. You know, they might say that I'm being aloof or, you know, I'm I'm not part of the team if I'm behaving in that manner. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, participate in some of the silliness. That way it it it, it looks like, you know, I'm I'm with the team. I'm, I'm I'm participating and I'm not trying to be standoffish, aloofish, as they often say about us uh, in these uh, type situations. Uh, that was added context as to, in terms of why I asked um, what are some of the things that sometimes it can be internal. I think in this situation specifically, um, nothing had been said. Like no one had a supervisor or a manager hadn't come and said, you know, oh, man, you know, it's, we were thinking about promoting you, but you've been so quiet like that didn't happen. <laughs> like uh, this was more of an internal thing uh, for this person and saying, you know, I I am not feeling comfortable because I feel like that sort of thing could happen. Can I speak to that? Feel free. Uh, if if you are utilizing that as a strategy, I cannot, I cannot, well, irregardless, I cannot criticize, I don't have the right to criticize another victim anyway, but I would say if you're using it as a strategy, then it, it may not be a bad idea. If you're using it as a strategy, that, when, when you were talking, it reminded me of the, of the book and the movie, The Spook That Sat By The Door. And he certainly was using counter-racist strategy through the entire move through the entire time of doing on, on the movie when he was on that, on that job. And, and uh, uh, if you, if you use it as a strategy and, and, and not as a, as a way, a, a, a quote unquote way of life, as far as that concerned, then I don't see anything wrong with it. You, you stand in the, you stand in the lane of codified, of codified behavior. If you utilize another strategy, you know, uh, uh, because you want to get that raise or get that that uh, uh, position, uh, so be it. You know, uh, but all around your all around constant behavior uh, in the in the people activity of of uh, uh, of uh, labor, uh, that's what you do. You have that set of mind. It's a mindset. You know, so that's all I have to say. Thank you. Interesting. Retired firefighter. If other folks have thoughts on that, or if you have your own situation you would like to share, feel free. Uh, we should not have oodles and oodles of spectators for the broadcast. I'm sure we have other folks who are employed and or have been employed. So we should all have a plethora of uh, experiences to reflect on and or share. 
Uh, other folks who dialed in with the hand up, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, um, so what you just said, Gus, is really interesting because that was exactly what I was going to say. Um, in my plantation slash place of work, it requires a certain level of rapport between um, teammates. <clears throat> so naturally, things of a non-work-related context are going to come up. So, for example, we could be working on a project and someone might say, hey, let's go get lunch. Um, oh, I really like Thai food. You know, my wife likes to cook Thai food or she likes to do this and that. I used to live in Japan or something, you know. So that's where these situations can get dangerous because um, you might have to share. But um, I've learned that also it always works to um, give the hmm, say hmm, that was interesting. Um, but these situ you know, those situations can turn dangerous. So I can understand completely how codification can be lost or how it's not practiced in those situations. It's tricky and you have to practice your codification to the point where you can codify um, in these situations somehow. That'll be my life. Absolutely. That's that's important. I guess one thing I will say for this particular person, their context, it was it was with a person, <clears throat> a white person, suspected race soldier uh, who was not sharing information. This person was wasting uh, this person's time consistently. Uh, this this had uh, an established pattern of behavior uh, had formed where this. Like I said, what's your favorite cupcake? Who do you think would win a race between Mickey Mouse and Scooby-Doo? Like, just total nonsense. <laughs> like, uh, where it's like, you know, I, just every time that you come to my desk, I know this is what it's going to be. Uh, to where I said, hey, codification says, I let this person know. Uh, if you're coming over here to talk about foolishness, then I'm just going to ignore you. If you're coming to ask me a legitimate question about work, let's talk. What do you need to know? Let's Let's get to it and solve problems. Uh, and I said, this is a no brainer for me. I'm going to be codified. You're going to be on permanent. I'm going to tell you one time. I'm not even going to explain my policy five, six, seven times, even six, seven months from now. If we're working together a year from now, you come up <clears throat> asking nonsense. I'm just going back about my business. I'm not even going to look in your direction. And you already. Oh, yeah, that's right. That nigger did tell me they were going to ignore. That was the context in which I said, hey, let's just stick to codification. Uh, and there seemed to be some equivocation, some hesitancy to stick to codification, even with this type of situation. Yes, I can agree definitely with that. And I, I just came to realize that it had to do with the fact that I needed to sharpen up my codification to be able to fend off those attacks. Really, I consider those types of things attacks because the last time, one of the last times that it was very significant where I made small talk, my immediate supervisor um, ended up talking about comedy. So when he was talking about comedy, he was talking about Richard Pryor. And for some reason, I guess the ancestors were coming to me, but I sensed 
that this was going to get bad. So he started talking about Richard Pryor and how his comedy is hilarious. And then he uh, he was talking about one of the Richard Pryor um, skits or um, shows where he's like, I forget the name of the thing of the name of the show, but really what he says is something, something, something niggers with a smile on his face. And I'm sitting there typing and he was behind me. And I was typing the whole time before he said niggers. And then you hear me stop typing. And then I immediately start typing like a second later. But that was a very interesting situation because, you know, I just took out my um, pen and paper and I, you know, kind of just wrote that down. But that's how I, you know, small talk brings out those situations. And, you know, I had to walk and, you know, call myself like 20 minutes. But, you you know, it, it happens. And it's just better to not engage in small talk with white people. I know, and this certainly VGQ. Everyone has to come to their own conclusion about what what will work best. And I think retired firefighter made a great point uh, as well about you know if it's going to be used in a strategic manner uh, in terms of you being able to manipulate your environment. Great, but I also have seen where <clears throat> doing a lot of casual banter with whites. It can, exactly as you just said, it can provide an opportunity for them to be tacky. Uh, I've seen that repeatedly. Uh, and even <laughs> talking with some very victims, fellow victims uh, today, they came to that conclusion. I hadn't even said anything about that, but they said, uh, you know, I've just seen that in the workplace. When you give them 15 inches, oh man, or when you give them an inch, what is it? You give them an inch. They take about 10 miles uh, and it's going to go someplace tacky. Exactly. As you said, Richard Pryor jokes or some sort of filth uh, or something sexual or something explicitly racist. Uh, that is about five seconds away. Once the door is open and we're not talking about work related things, just anything that you want to chit chat about. That's kind of been my experience. And someone they came to the exact same conclusion today before we went live on the air. Uh, let's see, Mr. Steele, did you have uh, commentary? I think you should be with us as well. Oh, maybe he's not in an area where he can speak. Mr. Steele, were you there or did you, were you just listening? Assume he's just listening. Again, uh, this is not our spectator broadcast. If you're tuning in, I am sure you have workplace experience. Feel free, chime in, hand up, uh, feel free to share your thoughts. And if we have other folks, because I'm sure this has been an issue for other people as well. If you have an issue with not implementing codification on the job, I'm sure that has happened for many of us. where We've had moments of hesitancy on the job. If you want to share some of the things that have caused you to hesitate, that would be great. That's something that's important to discuss. Uh, Mr. Steele, were you there? Did you have commentary you were going to share, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is Ken Steele, and I am uh, somewhere in uh, Orange County, I believe. Yeah, I'm in Norvaland, I think. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I wanted to say uh, I was at um, I was at Facebook earlier this year. Um, they they summoned me to their LA headquarters for some reason, and um, they picked my brain about a few things and. Um, one of the topics that uh, were, was discussed um, was what they called bias. They do not, Facebook, have discussions about racism 
um, they have discussions about what they call bias. So I thought that that was very interesting that in the recorded um, uh, news reports that uh, he played earlier in the program um, that they mentioned, that is a, a term that they use. They use the word bias, not racism. Um, and then also uh, things that may cause uh, uh, victims at the workplace um, to uh, not practice codification. I think that, um, I guess, emotions, um, sometimes our emotions can get in the way of uh, making the best decision in uh, the most crucial moments. And uh, I'll say there was one time in a workplace that I um, worked at where um, I did really well in not uh, reacting to uh, some of the little games that are played by suspected racists on the job, but I was put in a situation where, um, uh, you know, they finally got, uh, they got to me and I, I had a, a tiny emotional outburst. Um, I think I may have placed some papers um, on a table uh, with a little bit of force, not, not like slamming them, but, you know, I may have dropped some papers and they use that as an excuse to say, oh, you are um, having an outburst, uh, you are, you know, uh, causing a scene. Um, this is cause for, uh, you know, an extra special meeting, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so, you know, it's in those moments where you know, we uh, may, uh, I guess what they call the heat of the moment, um, we can do things that may cause us to um, lose our codification. And, um, you know, we just, I guess, we should look out for those times and not let these, uh, suspected racists um, get under our skin, so to speak. Um, I think it was a really good suggestion or um, discussion that you guys had earlier um, discussing um, how we should avoid small talk on the job. That right there leaves so much room for racism to be practiced. I mean, um, I think a food example was used earlier today uh, as, a, as a conduit to discuss racism in you know, I get. I think it gets pointed out sometimes. I made an, uh, I guess, an erroneous observation that you could um, perhaps uh, avoid some of the tackiness associated with racism on the job by pivoting discussions to food. But even discussions about food can definitely land you in a space where um, these suspected racists are are definitely. Um, uh, showing out and uh, and practicing racism on the job. And I guess uh, with that, I'll mute my line for now. Thank you so much. I do indeed. I remember Mr. Steele's uh, suggestion that perhaps you could pivot to to food. If, I, if memory serves, I think even uh, the evening of that broadcast, I think a few people uh, mentioned examples where food was brought up and somehow it got tacky very quickly, uh, which is, if anything, for me, that just shows uh, the system of racism, white supremacy, uh, that regardless of what we're talking about, once we pivot away from the task, the thing that my mind goes to most quickly uh, is some sort of trashy way of talking about black people, non-white people, like that is dedication. That's always in the forefront of their mind, even on the job. 
Uh, folks have other comments, thoughts, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. And again, we have a sizable number of spectators. Uh, I cannot, If things are working that well for you on the job, man, I encourage you to invest. Uh, you can hit the blog racism-notes.blogspot.com. Address again, racism-notes.blogspot.com. When you hit the blog, PayPal button is on the top right corner. If you're not in the PayPal, drop us an email. We'll get you a physical mailing address. You can also support our wish list at Amazon.com. It is under Gus T. Renegade. If you have got to a wonderful position on your job, where things are going great, you are not abused, you are not mistreated, you are getting all of your promotions, fantastic, even though you should still be able to dial in and give suggestions on how you got to that glorious position. But if things are working out well, invest in the cows, much obliged, and then still dial in and let us know how you were able to work all of that out. And you should still be alert because I'm sure there are some other non-white people that you work with they might not be in such a swell position as you. Let's see here. While folks are spectating, I'm reflecting some of the other folks who I have shared. It seems whenever I speak to any non Oh, yes, sir. Hey, uh, this is Keita again. I just spoke, but I have an interesting situation that happened um, to me recently. I had an evaluation, say, about a month ago, um, early August. And during that evaluation, I brought up the question of my promotion. My promotion was delayed because of tackiness that occurred between myself and one of my other supervisors. Um, he's a pretty hardline racist, um, born in Kentucky, uh, you know, just all around, just, you know, good old Southern boy. So, um, while I'm at this uh, evaluation, I ask, uh, so what's going on with my promotion? I think I've been doing pretty well. And um, he says, oh, you know what? Yeah, um, I don't see any issues. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely proceed along with your promotion. So I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I've been promoted before. I should be getting the papers like that day or like in a day or, you know, it was a, I think it was a went Tuesday. So I said, I'll give them till Friday. Send me the papers so I can sign them and they can get sent to HR. Um, it is 921 and, you know, that just got put in. So it was the fact that they were taking me to another level to where I could make a lot more money than I was making before. But there wasn't a justification for them to hold me back like they did the last time because I actually got an award on my new team funny they they gave me an award for helping out and doing so much work when in the other team i was threatened to be fired but you know um it's just it just shows how tacky they are and the fact that it took a month for that promotion for those promotional papers to go through leads me to believe that he was not going to promote me unless i pushed because i had to contact him and I said, hey, um, so what's going on with the promotion? Is it still up? Like, what happened? And then, I kid you not, about 30 minutes later, he sent me, he told me everything I need to do. 
and sent me all the documents. So it just goes to show that he was ready. He was just going to see if I was going to ask again, which I shouldn't have to since we established that during our evaluation. And I'll mute my mind. Pretty standard. Uh, I'm glad that you, you know, were had the fortitude to ask questions and push through. Uh, but a lot of times they will expect that non-white people won't ask those questions, won't uh, push through. Uh, that's the system of why well, I think we've even had some people who called in before who said that uh, they observed black people who just did not have that self-respect, that black self-respect to ask those kind of questions and, you know, see if you could get help uh, on the job or get things that you have rightfully earned, if it's a promotion or a raise or whatever, uh, whatever it is. So I'm glad that uh, you had the black self-respect to follow up on that. Uh, same thing, asking questions. We say that on a consistent basis. Stay in the question lane, ask questions. What is it that I need to do to get this promotion? What's the process? You know, if I'm being evaluated for this raise or promotion or whatever it is, where, where are we at in the in the process on that anything i need to do to get that rolling like just asking questions that can can go a long way uh and generally doesn't cause more problems uh just asking a question or two uh let's see one of our other callers down in florida who chimed in did you have commentary you were going to share oh yes can i be heard yes sir Oh, yes, thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, just to speak on that, I believe it was a question about, I think, uh, preventing from being codified or something. When I'm having those, I guess you can classify them as uh, small talk conversations. Uh, my experience from being there six years, like I've been able to get them to uh, send me emails about uh, healthy foods, cholesterol, you know, making a certain type of oatmeal with some kind of raspberries or something in it. You know, like I like I've, I usually try to uh, get into talking about things like that, um, something constructive. But even though there are times where it can kind of go into talking about, um, you know, what did you do this weekend? And like anytime I'm asked that, I'll just be abstract. I'll use abstractions. and you know, I'll direct it. Like I heard that on this program and I'll direct it back on them. And they'll usually pretty much gloat about themselves. So I won't have to uh, really pretty much talk about my own personal, <coughs> my own personal uh, life or whatnot. Uh, but in regards to my recent experiences, like I wanted to uh, start by saying that I did, like I got this notebook. Because, like, I've, I've had so many incidents through the years, so I just thought that I should start jotting these down, you know, documenting them, I think. Uh, I would put the date and the time that I suspect that happened on, and I just, you know, detailed and put the uh, the names of the uh, particular white people and, you know, parentheses and things like that. And I already have about at least eight or nine of them. And I just started it, like, on Tuesday. Uh, but I had at least about two or three of them I wanted to share. Uh, there, uh, there was one where I pulled, speaking of conversations, I got pulled into a uh, a dialogue when I was trying to, when I was picking up something out of the judge's office. And, you know, the uh, 
it was two white women and a white man. And now this really goes to show uh, the participation of uh, the uh, white woman and how they practice racism. They were talking about, um, I guess, you know, like country music or whatever. And, you know, like old school country artists and stuff. And uh, what they call redneck culture. So... (laughs) So she was saying, yeah, you know, it's a it's a, a a derby or something like that down in some kind of city down here in Florida. So she was saying, yeah, he said, now nah, don't, you know, if you go down there with your date, you know, like don't wear your good clothes and stuff. And, you know, she made like a double whammy metaphor. Like she said, uh, she said, you know, because if you go down there, you know, you'll you'll end up. I think she made a comparison. She said that, like, if I go down there, she said I look as dark as you. Like, I, like I look as dark as you because you know, the, I guess making a, the reference to, you know, uh, having mud or something like that splashed on you, or some kind of dark substance from the ground. And uh, she said, so if you went down there, you know, said so you'll 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 look even darker because you'll have all that. <laughs> You have all that stuff on you or whatever. So, you know, I didn't I didn't really give a reply. I said I said, Oh really, is that true? So uh so she she also made another she also made another uh comparison and uh she said well what was it? It was um she said and then she said if I were to look in the mirror, she said I would look like um uh, like one of the you know, like the old cartoons from the early 1900s, the, uh, you know, the, the blackface menstrual show. I think that's what she was saying when she said like the old cartoons with the, with the, uh, the dark, the, the dark skin and the, the white lips. So I said, well, I said, that's interesting. So I pretty much, you know, just walked out of the office because these are just one of the many places that I have to uh, pick up documents from. So it's pretty much a go in and go out type thing. And I haven't really encountered this before um, on doing my courier route, but I, that's one of the ones that I recently documented when she made like two um, metaphorical, you know, comparisons to uh, having dark skin and being uh, quote unquote dirty or stained or, you know, um, I think that word tainted in the word God, like stuff like that. Uh, and the, the, the next one was, and this is another uh, white woman and a, a non-white female. Uh, like I was on the, the opposite side of the the counter because I was um, requested to do an early uh, mail pickup run or whatever a process because that was before Hurricane Irma, so they didn't know if the post office was going to be open. And so you know, so I just went on ahead and did it, finished it up. And uh, the first time I went to see my supervisor, she was behind the counter. I went behind the counter. And uh, I want to say that the vehicle that I used wasn't in his parking spot. So she said that I should go relay that uh, message to the to the uh, the uh, white male that usually, well, the white male that let me know that, uh, that I should do an early pickup or whatever. So I went to try and find him, and he wasn't where his office was. So I come back to the supervisor. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was on the other side of the, I was on the other side of the counter, the customer side where the customers come to the, to the front counter, I guess the 
to get whatever they want, whatever papers or whatever service they're ask, asking for. And, you know, she, she says, she said, hey, you're on, the, you're on the wrong side, sir. You're on the wrong side of the counter. And then, you know, the non-white person, you know, I guess somebody might, I don't know, call them a uh, mixed or something, you know, a lighter skinned female. Uh, she was like, you know, you're, you're getting, you're getting uh, hostile, you're getting upset, sir. And, you know, I was just trying to ask, I was just, I was asking the question and I was continuing to ask the question and, you know, the non-white person was trying to cut me off. So I eventually asked the question and she just told me to just wait or whatever. But like the non-white female, like, uh, started after the white woman was bringing up, you know, or you on the other side of the counter, basically putting out that stereotype that black people are, you know, our customers and they just, you know, quote unquote, ghetto people or whatever. You don't want to deal with them, you know, at, at the front counter. Um, and I, I had like one last one, uh, was that like the woman, I call it a warden or whatever. Uh, she, <laughs> like, I told you she had said something about like the color of my shirt or whatever. Like, you know, I guess she was flirting or whatever. So, um, like she said, oh, like said that, that reminds me of my, <laughs> like that reminds me of what my husband wears or something like that. And he's the opposite of you. It's just that he has pale skin and the color of his shirt, like brings out the color of his eyes or something like that. And, uh, you know, y'all have the same taste and clothes. So and she was talking to like other, like another black female and a white woman that, so, you know, I have, I had pretty much walked off when she said that. So, uh, those, those are my incidents, uh, for this week. And I documented those down and I uh, thank you for allowing me to share. Great job documenting. Always a big advocate of that. Uh, that that sort of banter can be important. I've seen where even those little type of uh, seemingly harmless remarks, just, you know, I like your shirt or that sort of thing, can uh, you would be surprised uh, where later it comes back. He was flirting with me. And I told him I was married and he was so aggressive. And God, same way you were talking about with the <laughs> customer situation. So it might be a good thing to have that documented, uh, whatever comments that she's made about, you know, your shirt and this, that, and the other companion to her husband. You can have a little record uh, that she's been doing that. And <laughs> if it's other people there, that's great. Uh, that might be one I would definitely have on the list. I think some people's workplace code or a part of their workplace code is to make sure that they are never alone with a white woman that she sounds like the type of person that would definitely be on that list to make sure we do not end up in an office together or anything like that um let's see the oh and good job paying attention when she made the double that that sort of thing when they make those sort of comments i if I went down there someplace sunny, I'd be as dark as you. Or if you went down there, you get all this black stuff on you. So you look twice as dark or maybe even compare you to some of the Sambo cartoons. Dock it just right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the person that called in previously, oh, that's interesting. Or you said, oh, that's interesting. He said, hmm, either one of those. Great. You don't have to jump up and down. I think someone met Mr. Steele. I think he said emotions. A lot of times that prevents us from being codified. Definitely, that's one you don't need to be emotional about at all. I wouldn't care if you said you look like you go down there and look like little nigger Jim. Fine, mm -hmm. said little nigger Jim at twelve o two p.m. on Wednesday, September twenty. Mm -hmm. 
and then just continue. <laughs> you can even let her see you write it down and just proceed with your day. No problem. That's not going to cause you any problems, not going to create any new problems. And uh, it might even stop her. If she sees you writing it down, that might stop any such further outbursts. But you don't need to be that explicit about it. If you want to wait until the person leaves and just make a note, that works too. But definitely not being emotional and not being surprised uh, about that sort of tacky comment. I think that's one of the things I cannot overemphasize on this broadcast. None of that sort of uh, behavior should surprise us. Not what was said to the customer about being aggressive or rude or whatever it was, or uh, you're going to look that dark, or I would look as dark as you. None of that should be a surprise. None of that should warrant you breaking a sweat or feeling like you need to curse someone out. Uh, the Let's see. I think Thomas in New York. Did you dial in? Thomas in New York, did you have commentary you wanted to share? Can I be hurt? Yes, sir. Good evening, Gus. Good evening to all the callers. Um, yeah, tackiness all around the board with the last call. Um, I have a dilemma at my workplace. Um, as I've explained before, my bosses are not white. They um, are not black either. However, they are Spanish-speaking um, islanders. Um, and um, one of my bosses in particular, um, he's um, he's a very dark, he was a very dark-skinned male, um, but however, he um, spoke Spanish, and um, he um, he was very, he was very aggressively um, always trying to find something wrong, um, always trying to make us do things that were not part of the procedures um, that are laid out for us to do. You know, and um, because a lot of um, people rubbed him the wrong way. And so he was there for less than a year and had 96, 96 different write-ups of different employees. Um, the closest boy was there for five years, and she only had 12 write-ups. So he, his job, I mean, it seemed like um, he, he wanted to go around and find, you know, fought with everything we did. And I had a problem with this guy, um, and we would end up in the union on several occasions with him trying to write me up. It was um, one of the things that didn't stick. Um, however, he got caught. Um, he got caught in having sex at, in the office, and he was fired immediately. Uh, with a um, a nurse or a clerk who was also fired, um, and um, the position has been vacant at the job place. And uh, we've been waiting for the company. The bosses don't work for the hospital, whereas I do. So we've been waiting for the, um, the, their company to send a new person in to, um, to take their place. However, um, it seems like they've hired in-house. And this has caused a ripple effect through the, through the whole staff because the girl that they hired hasn't been there a whole year yet or not two years yet. And um, she hardly speaks any English. So all of the black employees are mad. They feel like, you know, this is them looking out for this Spanish employee. And, um, frankly, I didn't care one way or the other. However, I was, you know, I've heard everyone talking about it. And when I went to work on Tuesday, they had this letter with um, 30 names on it. And they wanted me to sign as well to petition this whole thing. And I kind of really didn't want to, but I didn't feel like, 
you know, I, I, I didn't want to go against, you know, the, the team structure of things and, and be the outcast, so I did sign it. But um, it's really been rubbing me the wrong way because I really don't have a problem with this girl. Um, and, um, I mean, I feel like people are supposed to look out their own people. So, you know, they're just doing what they're supposed to do. We should be doing the same thing. But um, I, I'm just, like, hoping this doesn't come back to bite me um, from me signing this um, because, it's, you know, this is going to be our new manager. And I'm with my line. Thank you. In a weird sort of way, that might be another example of the question that I asked to start the program off. What are some of the things that uh, inhibit us uh, or prohibit us from practicing our own individual counter-racist code on the job? Uh, it seems like this might be uh, a time where Thomas's own individual counter-racist code, he didn't follow through. Uh, peer pressure, <laughs> if I'm hearing this correctly, maybe peer pressure sometimes uh, keeps us from following through on counter-racist code. Uh, I think he was, uh, Thomas in New York, I think was asking for input or suggestions. So I guess do folks have uh, thoughts on this? If this person, uh, he said it's a female that he doesn't have an issue with, no conflict with, uh, Spanish speaking, non-white it seems, uh, was promoted. They did not promote any of the English speaking uh, black employees to this supervisory position and I guess they have a position or a list of signatures that they're passing around that's I'm not sure what's supposed to be accomplished but uh, do folks have any, any thoughts? And he signed the position even, yes, sir. even though he said he didn't want to maybe. Retired firefighter? Yes sir. Well maybe maybe uh, Thomas's code need, needs to uh, include well uh, to inform the protesters just what he uh, has told us is that uh, I, I didn't see anything wrong with this and explain the reasons on why. Uh, and it depends. It depends. I mean, the, the, I would assume the protesters don't have the power to uh, promote Thomas or, or fire Thomas. Uh, they are uh, employees on a lateral basis with him. I, I, I'm assuming. I could be wrong, but I'm assuming. And just inform them uh, in that way when they come to him with with this paper is what I'm saying. Uh, because everything that he expressed that I heard, uh, you know, sounds, uh, you know, correct. You know, as far as codification is concerned, maybe that needs to be the code. As I said, everything, everything that you say and do. Uh, in the people activity of employment uh, 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 and labor uh, 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 should be codified. It should be codified. I would say, though, sometimes we do make mistakes. And once that takes place, just document it and don't do it again. <laughs> don't, you know, as far as that concern. Uh, but that, that would be my answer as, as far as that concern. Uh, if, if the, I mean, once you sign it, that's it. But if the, if that comes around again, the, the, I would say the solution is to inform, uh, that the protester that, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, the same things he explained to us. Uh, thanks for that advice. You know, I try in the meeting prior to, you know, all this going down, I tried to, some counter racist logic, 
Um, mm-hmm. And it, what I was told was that this was against the procedures, and this black male had a list of these procedures that the management had to follow that they can't hire from in-house because it's like a conflict of interest. That person could work for their company, but at another hospital, but not at this hospital. And they gave me all these examples where this rule was enforced. Now, these are people who's been there 10, 20, 30 years, some of them. So they, I'm thinking that, you know, they have this all mapped out. So I'm like, yeah, just bring that paper in. You could go to, with that paper to show that this is what they did. But I've never seen this paper. And then I come in and it's like, okay, now we decided we're just going to, you know, submit a paper. So I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, do y'all even have some rules? I mean, I feel like I'm being kind of bamboozled in all this whole thing myself. But you're right, I sort of follow my code. And it, while I'm sitting there, I'm like, my code is not to sign this, but everyone's looking at me, and I kind of fell to the pressure. And I'm eating my line. Thank you. heard? Uh, we heard both of you. I guess we'll get Mr. Steele first. Yes, sir. Awesome, awesome. You know, um, uh, my, my personal code says to never sign petitions ever. And um, I, I, when I get handed a petition, uh, I state that, you know, as a personal rule, I don't sign petitions. And that should be sufficient to kind of uh, dealing with anybody putting a petition in your face. Like, I, I always say, you know, I support your cause. I make it known that if I do support the cause, I support your cause, but my personal rule is I don't sign any petitions. Um, and if they want to ask why not, um, you know, you can just cite several examples of uh, back in the 9-11 days, um, people were signing a lot of different petitions that ended up making them uh, agree to very, very um, unsavory or unfavorable uh, political positions and stances. So. I don't know what I'm signing, and I just, you know, as a personal rule, I just don't, uh, I don't put my signature on petitions. I'm sorry. So, yeah, that should, I mean, that's what I personally do. It might be a little awkward when, you know, to some people, but it's, uh, it's uh, uh, a code that definitely has me, uh, um, that, that has me avoiding um, situations like that. Even when I'm in front of other people, you know, I'll definitely say, look, I, you know, I think it's great that you want to save the whales, but I just don't, you know, uh, sign petitions. I'm sorry. And on top of that, you know, it just uh, it makes for those interactions um, um, to be to end much quicker. And then also, I had a situation um, where a fellow victim of mine um, recently found some resolution in uh, when they went to um, the uh, equal employment. Uh, and fair housing. I don't know what the um, acronym for the uh, body that controls the um, the labor laws here in the state of California, but um, uh, a fellow victim of, uh, uh, and a, uh, I guess an associate of mine, um, listened to my advice about a year ago and went ahead and took uh, action in the form of uh, uh, filing paperwork. So, you know, that's definitely... Um, um, what happened was the, the manager that, um, I guess, uh, was in charge and that was the problem in the situation, um, it took a year, but uh, that manager was finally let go, and it was directly related to um, the 
incident uh, that took place and that was uh, that was been reported by by my associate. So you know that goes to show that, and he has a right to sue, and uh, he's definitely going to uh, pursue those options. So um, there, there's uh, uh, you know there's something to be said for you know writing down and documenting all of the incidences uh, that occurred. There's something to be said for seeing through uh, um, uh, these situations, and you know he. He confided into me that he he potentially would have um, taken um, uh, other means to uh, rectify his uh, issue with this manager, and uh, he was finally given the notice that you know this problem has been resolved on that end, and uh, he felt very very satisfied. So I, I just suggest to to victims, uh, um, you know, file paperwork, look up the local laws, and uh, consult your. Uh, um, uh, employment uh, attorneys um, with all of these situations. Thank you so much. Document, Mr. Fuller uh, would definitely co-sign on documenting and this situation, it said, I think if I heard correctly, it took at least a year to be resolved. I think that's another thing I've heard uh, Mr. Edward Williams uh, and Mr. Fuller uh, have both made sure that they emphasize that with victims that likely uh, racists, if you're being mistreated, one of the things that will happen, even if it works out in your favor, is that they will probably not be hasty uh, about getting to this situation. It might be something that could take six weeks. It could take a year. I've seen some that take 10 years. Uh, and sometimes it could take that long and they still don't resolve the situation. So just be mindful of that. And if you're going to move forward, be prepared. Hey, I am in it for the long haul. Whatever that is, uh, I'm you know going to persevere and see the thing through. Uh, do we have anybody else who had commentary for Thomas in New York? Uh, I know a retired firefighter was speaking up as well. Did you have any any commentary for uh, Thomas in New York? Uh, I, I was just going to say that uh, the white supremacists, in most cases from my experience, have already factored in dissent when they make decisions <laughs> for the most part. And they factored in that they can stand the dissent. Okay, whatever you want to do, you want to, you want to, you want to uh, uh, bring up uh, uh, papers with your signatures on it. Uh, we can stand that, you know. We can stand that. We can put up with that. We can last much more longer than you can, uh, and uh, and almost every move that they make, as far as uh, on on the job, uh, it, that's been my experience. So, uh, as was just said, that. Uh, the whole idea of signing some kind of petition—they already know that you 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 are not you're not happy with with a lot of their decisions. They're already very much aware about that. That's, that's just like that's just like uh, the whole idea of, uh, of non-white black people not watching NFL games because Colin Kaepernick is not not being employed. They can care less, you know, as far as what I, I factor, what I think, uh, as far as they're concerned. They they prepared for that. You know, it's for that concern of dissent on on any job, just about, uh, unless somebody can tell me something different. That That's all I had to say. Hmm. Uh, our caller who dialed in uh, previously, mail caller, I think, uh, Keenan said what his name was. I think he was on a headset. Uh, if you want to press star six one to put your hand up again, we can get you on the line if you had additional commentary that you wanted to share. Uh, the caller at... Two two one five two two one five. Did you have commentary you wanted to see? 
caller at 2215, last four digits, 2215, did you have commentary? Are you just listening, sir? I, I, I just wanted to... Uh, the, the last four digits, 2215, uh, <laughs> did you have commentary? I'm not sure. Yeah, can, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear? Okay, all right, great. Hello, greetings, everyone. Um, real quick, I just had, I had a couple scenarios, but I'll just share one, and this is regarding uh, my children who are in high school, at two children in high school, and I just said more than once that uh, for kids, school is that workplace for them. So um, I wanted to share, my kids come home and they tell me a couple things about some jokes or comments that were made by some of the other students. And there's one kid that I uh, would repeatedly uh, make jokes about Jews and blacks. And of course, I'm, I'm black, I kill to the black as well. But so I wanted to address it immediately and go to the school and make a, make a big deal about it. But my daughter, the child just really just says, no, please, just don't say anything. Please, please, please don't say anything. So I just really just didn't address it anymore. But then, so that was more so last year that this was happening in school. This year, uh, more comments were made or jokes being made by some of the other kids, two other kids. There's one kid who's a very dark-skinned complexion kid, and my, my, my daughter tells me that many jokes are being made about his complexion um, from other kids, from black kids as well as white. Now, I get it, and I understand a lot of times we do that uh, as blacks to ourselves, uh, unfortunately, but when it's a white kid that makes those comments or jokes, um, that's what really gets under my skin. So I'm really wanting to go to school and, and say something. And so I read the school policy. Uh, the policy says that any type of racial slurs or comments or jokes at all are referred to as harassment. So I'm wanting to do something or say something, uh, but at the same token, I'm wanting my children to uh, take a stand and, and, and say or do something about it as well, either go to guidance or so. Uh, but I heard on one of your shows that uh, I believe it was one of them, the guests had made comments about if you're in a workplace and if you were to bring an accusation, sometimes it really doesn't pan out too well for you after that. So I'm, I'm looking for suggestions as a parent. My child really doesn't want me to get too involved and, and make a big fuss about things. But I also want them to be to stay open and communicate to me whenever they're hearing things, so that I can at least take note of it and jot it down and potentially, uh, you know, maybe bring it to the counselor, the school counselor's attention or the principal's attention. So the policy for the school is, if there are any issues, instances, there, to bring it to the principal's attention. Um, so again, it kind of puts the kids in, a, in an awkward position where they're not wanting to be the ones that's going to go wrap someone else out and, and tell them that they made a, a, a maxi or, or made a joke, racial joke or so. So the kids aren't too likely wanting to do that and tell on each other and then be labeled as the tattletale or, or whatever there. But um, so I'm, I'm interested in feedback, ideas of what others may think of what's the best way to handle it. But uh, I just, I'm just infuriated that my kid or my kid or any kid has to go to school and have to deal with any type of harassment, uh, dealing with racial jokes and all. Mm. So, um, uh, what's the idea? 
appreciate the question. Um, this one, definitely. If we have black parents listening, you cannot spectate on this one. Uh, if you are a black parent, you talk to your child about racism, you have children that are school age, that should be a part of your counter-racist duty. To dial in, you got another black parent who's asking for uh, suggestions, input. You can't spectate on this one if you are a black parent listening in. Uh, Gus T., I do not have offspring. I am not an attempted parent. That said, uh, I would probably ask the child, <clears throat> how old is your child again? Uh, one's uh, 16, the other is 13. 16 and 13? Right, both, okay. both in high school. Okay, okay. Uh, I would probably ask them uh, wh- how they want to handle the situation, see what they said. If they're saying, you know, they don't want you to go to school and make a big to-do uh, about all this, I would talk to them and see what they say. I think at that age, certainly, I think they're old enough that you could talk to them and, and kind of give them your own thoughts on, on how you would like this uh, situation handled if you want them to report it. Uh, to the teacher or go report it to the principal or both uh, and then yeah. report it to yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I definitely had to talk with them and, and ask their view and they just rather just, you know, uh, you know, don't worry. We, you know, it's not a big deal. And that's the way a lot of the kids will respond. So this one, the darker skin complexion kid that receives these daily, my, my dad was telling me this is almost daily, that multiple jokes daily. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of rolls with it, laughs with it, and but when a again when it's a white kid that makes those type of jokes, I I just don't have any stomach for it. Understood. But again, Understood. it's it's kind of like they just roll with it and laugh it off, or or ignore it, and and that's it. They won't do anything else about it. Mm. Well. I think number one, I can certainly understand the difference in response when it's another victim a black child who is unfortunately spewing these anti-black comments or what have you. That's very common as well. We've talked about that before. A uh, very different response when it's a little race soldier, white child who is making these comments. Um, you can certainly, and this is something that I've advocated for years. There's so many incidents of white racist children who are their age, your children's age, 13, 15, 16, that have been gotten a lot of publicity over the past month, few days even, really. Uh, They just had the case where it was a high school football team where five of the members were Klansmen and had guns and were terrorizing their black teammate. Uh, It's tons of cases where that exact same sort of behavior from children the same age, it got very serious. It started out with those names, and then it ended up being... Uh, somebody being bound, beaten, hit, all kinds of things. So I try to use that to emphasize that this is very serious, something that you should take seriously uh, anytime that it happens, uh, because it could get dangerous and often does get dangerous very quickly from those names uh, and any of the other children that you have contact with. Those That would be some of the main thing that I'd be trying to get across to them. Uh, any of the parents who dialed in, black parents, uh, who dialed in? Uh, do you have any suggestions on how you would deal with this, black parents? Yes, sir. Uh, attempted parent of a twenty-one-year-old uh, now, uh, but of course, once he he was in grade school, and I agree uh, that uh, 
what the caller stated uh, early, where he said that that is uh, his children's place of employment. And from that standpoint, point, they have an idea of what they're talking about <laughs> when when they uh, ask uh, the father to uh, dad don't 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 come down don't come down and, and quote unquote raise hell you know about it. But this is what I think he could do: uh, PTA meetings, bring it up. Uh, the the uh, office that that uh, is in charge of his area schools go there and bring it up to that person uh, or even go to the district or quote unquote superintendent's office and, you know, and, and whatever detail that needs to be uh, talked about, bring it up through there, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, that would kind of like uh, uh, answer the concern that your children would have as opposed to going right directly to the principal. Uh, those are the, those are areas where, where you, you possibly can, uh, get that attention to those people, uh, in, uh, without, uh, without, uh, 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 uh best word I can think of it right now is frightening your children <laughs> on you going to the school and, uh, you know, directly uh, stating that. Maybe that'll work. Yes, thanks. Hmm. We have any other black parents who had commentary or suggestions, rather? Let's see, the caller at 1989-1989. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, this is uh, greetings. To the host and all the callers, this is Jerry calling out of Chattanooga. Uh, I have I have five children, uh, four daughters, and one son. My son being the second youngest of all five. Now I also have uh, two teenagers, like he does, uh, fifteen and fourteen. And it's great. It's great that he would uh, give them the option. Uh, me, myself, I've, I've went through this, and it's not necessarily an option. I would ask them just for the sake of asking them. But what I had learned when I was a young child, that the uh, decisions that our parents make 75% of the time, and this is one of those times where he asked his children what what they would like him to do but he already knows what he needs to do. Uh, like you, like you stated, Gus, uh, show him, show them, excuse me, some of those instances where it started out as hazing, but it ended up turning physical. And that's not to, uh, to scare them or anything, but it's to let them know why you are making the decision that, that he is making to go down there and address this issue. Like, uh, Retired firefighter said, I would do all of those things also, but most the most important thing is to go down to the school. Now, the, the children are going to uh, forgive him, not forgive him. I mean, there's a lot of things that he's probably doing right now that they have these same sentiments about <clears throat> and that they'll just have to get over as they age. 
but it's not his children that he has to worry about. It's the other perpetrator and also the faculty of the school that's allowing this to happen. So that would be my advice. And uh, I'll mute my line. Thank you. Right on. Do we have uh, other black parents? We have other black parents. Uh, this seems like something you might have had to deal with. If you have suggestions. Can you? Um, I, I was kind of in and out because I was getting dressed for work. But um, mm-hmm. what I rec- what I understand is that the, the person's child is being called um, names by white people at school. Seems white and the black students engage in some of this anti-black uh, name calling. And, and the, it was mostly directed toward the person being doxxed. Right. And it, I think he said that his children, they did not want him to go to the school to make a big to-do about this. They're 13 and 16 high school students. They did not want him to go to the school to, you know, make a big deal about this. So he was curious about how to handle it. Hmm. Wow. This might be um, a situation where, um, you know, it's time for you to educate your kids on um, blackness and, and exactly why they're being called black by the black kids. Uh, maybe um, show them, School Days is a good movie, I think, that could segue into that type of conversation. Um, the, the, the way where light-skinned blacks are treated and white, you know, dark-skinned blacks. But um, to, to, let, to at least give them an understanding that this is something that's always going to happen amongst black people, unfortunately, until we practice self-respect. Uh, but it's a big difference when it's a, a white person doing and uh, I can't think of a movie directly or, or a situation where you could show them, you know, that how huge a difference it is. But um, I, I personally don't think if my kids don't want me to uh, go to school, I, I don't think it would be because I had a parent who would do that. And um, it was never a good thing, you know, feel like, you know, you're kind of being segued out or, or you know, like um, singled out or something. So I would try to educate them from that perspective. Um let them understand why the black kids are doing it, and then they'll see, you know, why the white kids are doing it. And I'll be my line. Right on. Thomas in New York. Uh, if we have any other parents, black parents listening in, uh, if you have a thought, suggestion on how you would deal with all this, feel free to chime in. I'm sure those would be appreciated. Uh, we had a listener right right in as well i want to get his commentary uh this is someone who describes himself as a long-term black substitute teacher i said you can call me d long uh long-term substitute teacher in the connecticut area who is covering for a white female teacher suffering from post-traumatic stress she was a kindergarten teacher who worked at the Sandy Hook Elementary School during the shooting, she decided working in the inner city would be a better option. It was not. We had a lockdown last year and she decided this summer she needed some time off of work a few months in. In fact, I have her job for the time and I've come to realize that they have these sixth grade students who are capable of performing at their grade, reading and working in mathematics at a fourth grade level. I grew up and went to school in the city in which I now teach in. The curriculum, the way they want me to teach, which is fourth grade level, confuses me. I have to teach it to myself before I teach it to them. Also, they test these kids every two weeks. 
don't know why they don't know why they're testing and most kids don't want to take these state mandated tests so they don't perform well that well i do believe that test scores and directly linked to funding i have a white female math specialist coming in every friday who is over every department in the city coming in to check my work i don't want to confuse these kids i am a hard worker who cares about these students of color who works off the clock grading papers and attending parent-teacher conferences. I don't know whether the city is taking advantage of me by not hiring a teacher better qualified or purposely filling these teacher positions with underpaid, hardworking substitutes. However, it would not be the first time I was placed in this position. I am the only black male teacher in my school with two black principals. I was told this year that the head black principal was for the whites and the assistant principal was for the rest. The teacher whose position I am covering for had an argument with another white female teacher who was older and had seniority, moved across the school and grade level changed. I don't trust any of them, any advice on what I should do. Wow, that seems like a tough position to be in. I would think especially if you are a substitute teacher, because it's at least my understanding of that, it's kind of a temporary basis, even if you're a long term uh, substitute that, you know, that I, it just it would be my experience that you would be looked at and probably treated significantly, noticeably differently than if you were a full time employee at that school or in that school system. That's one um, in terms of if if what is happening in this situation, if it's just, yeah, let's get <clears throat> A black substitute, bring him in, work them to death. Uh, I don't think substitutes are compensated at the same rate as full-time teachers. So we can get a black person in here, pay them less, give them this really difficult job uh, where they are coming in halfway through or after the school year has already gotten rolling. You're taking over this class. You're teaching these students uh, who could be reading on level, but we're giving them assignments that are two years behind what they're actually doing, uh, which seems to be a consistent pattern with black students. We don't want them to catch up and be learning a lot and be great students who are capable at a sixth grade level, capable of doing calculus. No, we want them at a sixth grade functioning at a kindergarten level. Uh, That way we can keep them ignorant and easy to control. Uh, And just in terms of what do you do? Uh, Do you try to teach them off the curriculum and then they end up looking bad on the test or you could lose your job? Just what do you do? It can be a very uh, demoralizing position uh, in which to teach, probably related to why so many black males are leaving the teaching force. I think we've talked about and I have personally written about that before. Uh, Any suggestions on uh, what this long term substitute teacher can do in this position uh, operating in Connecticut? Have you heard? Yes, sir. They have a cousin going through the same thing in um in New Jersey. You know, she just graduated college, and um she's been put into. She started off subbing for uh, a school in the white part of the city that she's in in Jersey, um, Hoboken, and then they moved her to a school by the projects, where the demographics is quite different. And um, she's um, trying to get a you know full time spot, and um, it, it's it, she's she's seeing that the the way that the school is taught in the 
one district is totally different for the same class, the same grade as in the other district. And um, my advice to her, and um, maybe it's not the solution. Well, it's, I think it's the solution, but it's, it maybe it's something that's hard to get to. Is this is what happens when we don't own our own schools and don't control our own curriculum. This is what we're going to get. And until we start our own schools, then, you know, we're going to be stuck in order to fill that position, teaching exactly what the white supremacists want us to. So she has to, you know, maybe interject some of her own thoughts, close the door when she can, um, you know, do some bold teaching. And that was done um, when I went to school. Um, you know, teacher closed the door and gave us the real lowdown on Christopher Columbus and things. So I think she's going to have to do do the same thing, and maybe that sub um, might have to do the same thing as well. And I'll meet my mom. I think Dr. Umar would attest it seems racists do not exactly make it easy for black people to open their own schools or keep them open once uh, they are operating. Uh, do we have other folks who had suggestions, uh, advice? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, get, uh, Gus, this is Jerry from Chattanooga once again. Uh, I have a few. Sorry about that. I have a few friends that are uh, teachers, and they, and they, for whatever odd reason, they come to me when they trying to get subjects passed through their children. Uh, I, I tutored some. Uh, I didn't go to school for teaching, but I tutored some uh, the two valedictorians at our school. So they they asked me how I do that, and it seems to be working for them. So I passed this advice along to him. Uh, it's easier. It's, it's not hard to teach anyone anything. What the what the secret has been with me, with my children and the, uh, other teenagers when I was in school, was to find what they liked and apply that to whatever lesson they was doing. That way, it's not it's not work anymore. They're just enjoying themselves. And once, if he starts to do this the way these children are enjoying what they're doing and forgetting that it's work that they're doing, what'll happen is they'll go home and the parents will request him to be there. And that will put pressure on the school to make sure that he's there with those children, whether those uh, supposed racists are like him or not. Now, they will do a lot to get rid of him, but those parents will, uh, will cause friction to make them keep him there. And with that being said, I mute my line. Thank you. Hmm. Wow. Fascinating. Uh, that is interesting that you've been doing that, that tutoring where you actually have educators that uh, are seeking you out for tips or uh, suggestions on, on tutoring and, and working with other folks, educating other folks. That is uh Fantastic. Uh, Do we have any other suggestions? Anybody else who had a suggestion for a long-term black male substitute who wrote in? I think the last caller made an excellent point uh, because uh, I myself work with uh, younger people. And when, when you are in the, in that lane of, talking about subjects that they're interested in, uh, 
like he's like he said that then now you got their attention and it's you know i really don't even think it has a whole lot to do with the difference in age just about anybody once you get to the area that they're interested in and you then you include those other things within that 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 area of interest that's relevant then then you you're going to have a good working relationship with that other person uh period uh and and it is possible because i worked at a uh i coached at a uh a school uh that was uh uh where the the people in the area of the school is sometimes called community <laughs> uh uh do get involved do get involved uh more so than other places uh of uh, that that are called educational institutions and they have a i said that to say because they do have a knowledge of some people who are teachers at that particular place and the parents sometimes do talk and if it's a person that that is uh really has something uh where the where the children that were, were my child or somebody's child is is uh hey i like mr so-and-so or miss so-and-so then and there's a lot of parents involved they will go to the principal they will go to the principal about that in some i've seen that in some cases not all cases, but some cases I have seen that. So that is a possible answer. Thank you. Hmm. Right on, right on. Any other tips? Any other tips uh, for folks who suggestion? I feel like we do have a good number of black educators who listen to the program as well. Any other tips uh, folks would offer long-term black substitute teacher? I assume folks are good for the moment. Uh, again, if you want to email, if you have a suggestion or if you have your own situation, untiljustice at gmail.com, untiljustice at gmail.com. Uh, the number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. If you have Thoughts, observations, suggestions on what's been shared thus far. If you have your own situation, again, encourage folks to not be uh, spectators. Should not be possible. If you are a black person, you have a job, you have had a job. I am sure you have had some experiences, observations. Either you should have some tips uh, to help folks neutralize racist activity or observations, things that you've seen on your job. And again, question I'm throwing out or just asking for feedback. What are some of the things that keep us from following through, being consistent with our own personal counter-racist codification on the job. I think we've heard a few thus far, uh, peer pressure, uh, just fear of messing up. If you had a bad experience before, fear that that might happen again, we might mess up and might cause us some problems. Uh, are there any anything else in terms of things that we know uh, is keeping us from implementing and or being consistent in practicing counter-racist codification on the job? Folks have any thoughts on that? Assume folks are still being spectators. Again, when we talk about sexual intercourse, period age, 
lots of commentary in the job, which is one that I think is super important. And that was the point that I was going to make earlier uh, when I got sidetracked. I think someone did speak up, but uh, that consistently when I have talked to listeners, when we are not speaking on the air work, I don't ever solicit commentary about workplace racism. If I talk to anybody and it's not online, I'm never fishing. Oh man, what's happening on your job? You haven't never that will come up automatically, immediately. Uh, people will be going to things that are happening, whether they're being denied a promotion or someone is harassing them and getting them on their nerves in particular, even if it's something that's not happening to them uh, in particular, with things that they are just seeing that are happening on the job. It comes up consistently, almost, I, I could wager uh, if I talk to a non-white person and it's not on the air, workplace racism is going to be a central part of the conversation, a central part of the problem uh, and then when it's broadcast time as i've said i know it's not as fun to call in and talk about how we get abused and mistreated on the job that is not fun i totally understand it but i do think that that is important in going about the business of replacing racism uh that said we did have someone who also wrote in uh with an economic tip that they wanted to share i had been talking about uh with regards to economics and investing and this person, they shared uh, that they had, uh, see, I can just read it directly from there. I wanted to let callers know something that I am not sure people may know. I certainly didn't. I've been listening to your comments about the stock prices of Narcan and for Star Pharmaceuticals and became interested in investing. Without knowing much about the stock market, I would be willing to wager the lower stock prices are to make it advantageous for white people to invest with their plentiful resources before the stock goes up and essentially makes them a great deal of money. I was saying Amphistar Pharmaceuticals, the price has been pretty low. I think when I first saw it and mentioned it on the program, it was around $18. And I think over the next month, it dropped about $3 a share down to about $15, uh, maybe a little over $15 uh, per share. Continuing, she said, anyway, uh, I wanted to invest now while it is low but I know little about the market. I live in a black neighborhood and am a member of our neighborhood's nextdoor.com account. I posted on there that I was interested in learning the stock market and if there was anyone who currently invests that would be willing to teach me some basics and how to set up my first trade. I would pay them, of course. I received a number of responses, but one in particular from a black male who is an investment advisor that said he would be willing to meet up with me and teach me what he could. When I asked him about compensation, he told me that his and many investment firms offer pro bono services to teach people the market. He and I are meeting up at our neighborhood library tomorrow. If people are interested in learning the stock market as I am, I would definitely encourage them to reach out to some local investment companies and see what type of pro bono services they offer. While online trading is supposed to be very simple, I do not find it to be particularly intuitive. Reading the trade ticket alone can be a bit daunting to a newcomer like myself, so just getting assistance with the basic vocabulary would be very helpful, I think. With any luck, this stock skyrockets and makes a lot of black people a lot of money. Amen. But that is great if there are uh, folks in your local area. Uh, just check in. Sometimes you can even go to the library, uh, particularly if you have a major university uh, college in your town. You can just go to that library. And a lot of times they'll have all kinds uh, of resources 
posted. Uh, if they have like a community resource area, that sort of thing, they'll have these sort of services just posted on the wall. Uh, you can go in and it'll be either a website or a number or an email or an office, you know, where you can go locally uh, and talk to someone, set up an appointment and get constructive information. Uh, sometimes Sometimes white people just make it difficult, uh, particularly she said she's in an area where it's a predominantly black residential area, but sometimes they might make it difficult to find that sort of information there. Uh, but if you look, they will have a lot of services like this that could definitely be beneficial to black people. Just be informed, keep alert, check it out and then share. If you find it, try to share with other black people so they can, you know, be informed as well. Uh, they have, have heard? Yes, sir. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And um, also what I've been looking up as well, a little just along those lines is uh, counter-racist technology or technologies that they're coming out with that I think could be used, um, we can use to counter racism. And um, they have startups, and uh, even more so than buying stock, if you can, you can, you know, in a block invest into a startup and that company becomes a stock, then you're really seeing money. Um, and if, you know, that company becomes public or even if they sell that company and, um, you know, you generally, they go for a few hundred million to a few billion dollars for, you know, the, the, the technology you might have invested in, um, then you, you'll see a, a lump sum at, you know, a huge rate. Um, so, um, I just wanted to keep that in mind as well. Mm-hmm. I would even say take advantage on the job. And we talked about, um, chit chat. Right. Or just idle conversation on the job. A lot of times it could be white people that you work with. They might have a wealth of information uh, about economics, stocks, investing and or just the job that you're on, as opposed to we got to deviate and talk about all kinds of nonsense and filth and every dirty Richard Pryor joke you can think of. Yeah, see if you can pick that person's brain, get you some constructive information that you could use about the job there. They might know some tips where you can get extra days off or finagle the personal time that you have and or investment opportunities or anything constructive. It could even be, you know, this is how to double your frequent flyer miles, anything that's of constructive basis. In my experience, uh, experience. oftentimes whites have now, a with- lot of constructive information like that. They just don't share it with us. Yeah, that happened to me the other the other day at the hospital where we were all sitting around the lunch table and um talking our general, you know, nonsense talk. This is all black males and a white female nurse came up and I don't know how the conversation went to the the company portal, but she says, Did you guys go on and um get your free two hundred fifty dollar Amazon and you could choose from Foot Locker and it was a whole portal we entered that just by filling out surveys or things over the job we get all this money and she knew all about it we knew nothing that has been my experience (laughs) where they they have quite a bit of information and a lot of times they just don't share it's been my experience a lot of times in those situations they don't say that they don't say oops let me interrupt the niggers and you know make sure they have the Info how they can get $250. A lot of times that's just, oh, them niggas won't get that $250. I got mine. <laughs> or they'll bring it up the next day after the offer has ended and ask, did you do it? And, oh, yeah, you had to do it by the end of the day. That's the sort of thing. So, yeah, be alert. Ask questions uh, for whites that we have access to that you're around. Use that time on the job. Other folks, they have either comments, suggestions, what we've heard thus far. If you had your own situation you wanted to discuss. 
Oh, last thing, Gus. It's funny you said that because that was the last day we had to do it. Was that day? Exactly. I'm not surprised. You can consider yourself lucky. <laughs> a lot of times they will they will wait until the next day and then bring it up as they're bragging about what they got with their two hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> Did we have any other folks? They had uh, commentary, suggestions based on what we've heard or your own know, situation you want to touch on. I hope folks are doing spectacular. Oh, the caller at 4243-4243. Did you have commentary? Last four digits, 4243. Did you have commentary? Are you just listening? Hmm. Well, line should be open. Last four digits, 4243. If you had commentary, feel free. If you're just listening, uh, right on. Uh, I was going to say, we, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. This is Red from Ohio. Um, I just wanted to add on to the um, commentary that Thomas from New York shared, um, what I've noticed and what has helped me with um, advancing my per- my career, in particular uh, my current company, was um, actually White State do have um, information about like um, different uh, learning uh, portals that the job offers uh, when I was trying to train to get into a different position. The current job that I have, they had like different uh, learning modules. So it would teach you how to work as a team. And they were more intuitive to how um, you can access those portals and take advantage of those. And those are actually what helped me to get into different positions. So I would definitely suggest anyone who wants to move from a different position to another, possibly a a higher paying one, to definitely check your job's intranet to see if they have because like some of the jobs they do offer it might not be like specific to um, different departments but they do offer basic uh, like basic uh, trainings like with my job they offered like how to work as a team how to be like uh, basically self-motivating and these are all free and you basically took that portal and or that um, like a learning module and I could add that to my resume And that definitely helped me strengthen my resume to let them know that, okay, well, this was something free that I took on my own. And um, it it basically showed that I was uh, more willing to be a self-starter, I guess, quote unquote. And just on on another side note, with an old supervisor, because I had been um, taking advantage of my 401k plan to even see if there are any whites on your job who do have more information about like um, retirement plans because I know as a, a black female, I wasn't very knowledgeable about if I should do um, pre-tax um, contributions or post or um, after-tax contributions. And they were, I, I wouldn't say they were completely forthcoming, but they at least helped me to give me some small piece of information like, oh, we well, should do um, pre-tax 
contributions because you're already going to be taxed anyway. Um, so I guess that's that's the the little piece of information that I was able to find out. And then I did have some stuff about um, just my uh, observations with being in a school. It, it was um, it was for a a, a non white black child that I'm close to. I'm close to with his parents. And I'll just wait till Saturday to share that because I don't, I don't have any children either. So I'll wait to um, share my observations on that. Thank you for taking my call. Indeed. Appreciate the input. We'll look forward Saturday, compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, folks want to tune in. Uh, do we have other folks have commentary uh, that they wanted to share any of your own personal situation or if you wanted to respond to anything that's been shared I can only say that again I was telling someone that today it's been my experience racists they have lots of information about many many things you cannot dominate and terrorize an entire planet and uh, be ignorant you tend to pick up a few useful bits of information as you're going about your business plundering and terrorizing uh, but see if you can siphon off and get that information just by being alert uh, when you're on the job uh, other folks have commentary that they wanted to share spectating thoroughly i will assume again i i hope that this means that people are doing well that they are getting all of their promotions the job is going spectacular they are not having any problems they're not being abused they're just getting all of their raises great office and no issues at all no unwanted touching life is grand great invest in the cows appreciate it uh, or anyone else that you think is doing constructive information and uh, make sure you take notes let us know how you were able to pull that off because uh, that would be great. I'm sure other non-white people would love to get some pointers so they can enjoy the same workplace bliss uh, that our listeners are experiencing today unless they are doing some uh, spectating. Uh, give it another 10 or so. If folks are, are content to just hang out and have nothing to say, then we'll give it 10 minutes and wrap things up. We'll be here tomorrow for uh, France Fanon. Wretched of the Earth, study session number seven. We have three left. Tomorrow will be uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific as we head down the stretch, and there'll be two after tomorrow. But we'll definitely be here for that in the compensatory call-in this coming Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Right on. Any other thoughts in terms of what, uh, and folks can even, I guess, speak from their own personal experience in terms of things that have uh, prevented or caused us to hesitate? from implementing our own counter-racist codification on the job uh, or or stopped us from being consistent <clears throat> in practicing our counter-racist code on the job. Uh, folks have any other thoughts on that, that would be grand. Uh, we'll give it 10, see if folks have anything else they want to share before we get ready to wrap things up. Uh, person that called in, I guess you're on a headset. If you had commentary, should be with us. Can I be heard? Hey, um, yes, this is Keita again. This is just something that happened today. I found it just typical white person, tacky. Uh, we were in the office, and we recently got a new office, so everyone had to move. Um, we have, like, brand-new desks, cubicles, um, furniture, the whole nine. So 
uh, there was an issue with one of my coworkers on my team. His drawer um, is having some issues with opening and closing, and it has a set of lock and keys on it um, that don't match. So he can, um, you know, store his files for later and make sure everything's all right. So um, the team lead was explaining that there's someone who is in charge of uh, pretty much all of all of the items that we use in our cubicles, like our chairs, desks, cube, you know, the cubicles themselves, everything. So they said his name was Pat. And, um, you know, they just called his name out, Pat. I didn't know who this Pat person was either. I was like, hey, probably another white male. But turns out uh, it's a, it's a you know, non-white black male. Um, so the non-white black male walks up. Uh, he just explains to them what to do. He gives very thorough instructions about how to do it. And, uh, you know, I just felt like the way he handled the situation was great because he just, you know, he's very professional. He just said, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. Um, this, this is how you can do it. I'll send you, you know, he even said he'll go out of his way and send them the information like over email and, um, you know, over the phone so they could have it. So they, there would be no way they could lose this information. So at, as he's walking out, uh, one of my other teammates, he's an older white male suspected racist. Um, he asked the black male, do you work here? And I'm kind of just thinking like to myself, um, what kind of stupid question is do you work here? When he, he is obviously fixing the problems that have to do with our workplace. It, it was just so nonsensical to me to just ask that question. And it was, it was that bad that another white, uh, white male suspected racist um, asked him, geez, uh, does he work here? What kind of stupid question is that? Because it was that bad and because, you know, we're in a crowd full of white people and he's a black male. And the way he asked the question was just like, it was like we, we went back into the twilight zone of the 1950s in the workplace. And I just found it tacky. And the white male had to spend the next 30 seconds to a minute explaining why he asked the question. I'm pretty sure I knew why he asked the question, but it was just tacky. And I'm pretty sure him being a white male and them understanding what they can and can't say in the workplace, I'm pretty sure he understood not to do that. But I don't know. It was just interesting to me. Oh, appreciate you sharing that. Um, I guess my response to that, I think early on when I said, I think one of the things that we can do uh, in terms of the workplace, one of, in my view, one of the most important things is to not be surprised when white people practice racism. Uh, and even something like this, I said, you know, hey, President Obama, the late great two-term president, uh, they didn't just look at him at the White House and say, you know, do you work here? It was... Nigga, were you born in this country? I mean, if that's President Obama, I mean, none of us should be surprised about that sort of treatment. That's about what you can expect from racists, any of them, all of them uh, at all times. So uh, that's why I say about just not being surprised about that, that that's what they're there to do. Uh, they love that sort of thing to put a black what they call putting a black person in their place. You know, this nigga's going to come in here and act like he has some sort of authority even to tell us you know about the the furniture in the workplace nigga do you even work here you know like that's that's pretty consistent and i think just not being surprised about that not being caught off about not being caught off guard 
about that in understanding. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is just another white person practicing racism. I, I might write that down. I might not for the people that have a journal might take a moment to write that down. If I got my MP3 recorder, boop, I might click record and get that documented, particularly if they have to spend the whole 30 minutes explaining why they had to say this and all that. Like, Oh yeah, I might record that. I might not depending on, you know, how I'm feeling that day, but I'm not going to be stunned about it at all. This is just, you know, Tim being a racist, Megan being a racist. What else is new? Birds chirp. Folks have any other? I agree. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was just saying, yeah, I I agree. You're right. You can't be surprised by how they act. Uh, We should probably know this, you know, after 500 plus years dealing with them. Any other folks have suggestions on, on dealing with that sort of situation? That's why I said being alert, even if you specifically are doing great, getting all your promotions, you got the biggest office in the building. Great. I'm sure all the other black people that work there are not being, you know, afforded such luxury accommodation. You can just be paying attention to what's happening to them. Any any thoughts on or recommendations, suggestions, how you would in a codified manner deal with that sort of situation? Um. I actually had um, a, a comment on the question that the host asked. I don't know if you want me to wait, see if anybody had any questions or any comments about the, what the previous caller said. We'll assume they're still thinking. Proceed, Red. Um, so I know one of the things that keeps me from uh, practicing counter-racist racist logic at my current position is the fact that with my job, um, I learned early on that they teach you basically how to confuse or fool um, customers or clients into thinking that you're really doing something for them when you're actually not doing anything. It's like um, we've discussed on the program plenty of times how words definitely are are used as a weapon so it um linguistically you could tell basically a client or a customer you know where we're doing as much as we can when you're actually really not doing barely anything and so what they've also done at my job especially with the people who are supervisors or managers or building managers what they will do despite the fact that they have taught all these different non-white people the um the method that they you know how to basically trick people into thinking that they've done things for you know gone above and beyond what they should have done they really haven't done anything at all they they use the same tool on us. And I know that that definitely is discouraging for me. So if I ask them a, a direct question, they might answer, oh, well, that was a really good question. And I might have to think about that, which, you know, isn't that, isn't that bad, but it's almost as if, you know, it's, it's not going to materialize into an actual answer or, um, they will just basically try to make you feel good for that moment and not um, try and, and not have any, um, I don't know, basically try to answer your question at all or even try to help you. And that's something that, you know, I know that in the past I've 
definitely been very emotional and very um, frustrated by this because and I've actually, you know, talked to other black people about this. Like, you know, they're usually the same, they're using the same tool on us, like, you know, upper management, they're using the same tool on us that they, that they taught us to use on other, on, on customers and, and clients, which is, which, which, you know, which I guess is, is a really great scheme and, you know, in the whole, and the totality, totality of everything, because I guess they expect, because, you know, of course, lower management or like, you know, like just entry level jobs, they're mainly um, filled by non-white people. And then as you go um, higher up the chain, it's mostly white people or people you would consider as being white. So I've always, I, I wouldn't say always, but um, whenever I could, I would try to point out to other non-white people, this is the same thing that they taught us about, and you need to try to figure out a way to try to get your questions answered. And so recently, um, like I've talked about before, I, I wasn't afraid to say, you know, no, you haven't answered my question. You're basically only use. I haven't told them this, but it's like, you're basically only using the same um, you know, placated answer that you would tell us to give to clients or customers. Um, so I know that was one of the things that would keep me from practicing uh, counter-racist logic. Um, I just wanted to answer that. Thank you. Hmm. Great analysis. Great analysis. That That is one of their best, uh, most effective tactics uh, to just talk and talk and talk and not answer your question. Even uh, when we, when I was saying before that sometimes these cases, if you bring up uh, that you've been mistreated in the workplace, it might take a year. It might take 10 years uh, for them to bring some sort of resolution. That is like a micro level of the same strategy. You know, this answer, we can answer your question in five seconds. Instead, we are going to talk for the next 30 minutes and we still haven't answered your question. Like that's another tactic where they just wear you down and either you get confused in all the buckets of words, you get confused and think that they have answered your question. And then, you know, when you come out of a stupor an hour or a day later, say, wait a minute, they didn't even, we sat there and wasted a whole afternoon and they didn't even, they are stunning uh, doing that sort of thing. They do that on the program all the time. That's one of the ways that you can, uh, catch them right there. Um, but that, that right there, a lot of times can really throw you off stride because if you ask a question, it's logical to think the person is going to answer when they talk and talk and talk and don't answer your question. Sometimes it can really confound how you want to proceed. Like, did they answer it? And I just didn't understand the answer or, you know, just, it, it can really cause a lot of confusion. So absolutely. I'm sure that that is a very effective tool for keeping us, uh, from being able to effectively practice counter-racism on the job. Uh, we have other folks either who wanted to respond uh, to the commentary we heard before. Uh, Red, gave her, uh, Red gave her feedback or any other workplace situations folks wanted to address. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. So I'm the caller that called in a little earlier with comments about my daughters in high school there. So uh, just to, to piggyback on Red and to answer your question, um, for me, I just came across your show maybe about six months back, so I'm just starting to develop a code. Um, and 
I was also the one that wrote in some time ago, about a month ago, about uh, the suspected racist uh, commenting about my hair. So I was saying it's time to cut my hair, you know, my hair's getting long. And and my response to that was, uh, as I heard many times others say, and you say, stay in the question lane. So every comment that he had, I was coming back with, so what do you mean by that? You know, and saying it loud enough so they can be heard. And, but anyway, um, to answer your question, I think I'll, I'll give a scenario of what happened since then. Um, and in response to your question, I think that when we start to develop a code, if things start to happen or you start being questioned about your behavior, then that may, may make us want to kind of change our behavior to go back to a non-code and kind of play with or go along with the, the crowd <laughs> and not be one, like you said, to stand off or be kind of aloof there. So there's a situation that, that happened. So in my position, many times we're asked to, to go out with other managers to dinner, especially if there's a VP or president or so that comes to visit. And so here I am to, you know, accompanying or attending this, this dinner uh, with all the managers and VPs. And one of the VPs is actually visiting from another country. And, and I, I remember hearing you say one time before about when, when, when the whites start drinking, you know, beware, <laughs> you know, something of that nature. There. So here we are kind of before dinner starting, we're at the bar, I'm the only black, um, and drinks are, you know, starting, and I'm kind of got my antennas up and saying, okay, sooner or later something's going to be said or done, and you know, I'm going to have to respond or not respond. I don't know, but I'm also kind of looking at the clock, trying to figure out a way that I can get out of this early. Um, so I dinner go from the bar to dinner, and you know I had a meeting with uh, the VP and my supervisor a little bit earlier in the day. And so as we go to the dinner table, I'm the first one with my supervisor to sit down. He asks, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm okay. Why?" He says, "Well, I just want to make sure everything's okay. Are you okay with what the VP was suggesting as far as things to do and how uh, we can." make changes and so on. So, yeah, I'm okay with everything. Fine, no problem. Okay. So dinner goes on. So I'm fast-forwarding. Dinner goes on, and a couple of the managers are talking. The VP's there from another country listening in uh, to conversation, and there's conversation about, you know, they get on a topic about being Italian and different foods and whatever else. And the visiting VP uh, chimes in a little bit after that conversation and says, oh, you know what? We were talking about last name, so let me let me look up your last name and find out what that means. And so he asked the one manager, "Okay, how do you spell it?" So he plugs into his phone. He starts looking. Uh, uh, I don't know what site it was, but starts looking up the last name. Here's what it means. Then one of the other supervisors chimes in, "Oh, well, look up mine." And so he plugs his in. Says, "Well, yours means this." And he then he starts proceeding around the table, and I'm sitting there like, "Oh boy, here we go." Kind of come around to me, right? And I'm looking at my watch and trying to figure out how do I get out of this, but, you know. So uh, as he's going around the table, asking everyone else, you know, what's your last name? Or, you know, how, how do you spell it? Plug it in. Here's what it means. And he looks at me when it comes to my turn, and he says, you should be interested. And, and again, mind you, I'm the only black. <laughs> and I'm, saying, I'm sitting there, and I'm just looking kind of like with a streak, you know, kind of look like, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, and... 
for him to just say that made me just kind of like, yeah, uh, here we go. It's starting to come, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, one of the managers kind of looks at me and says, uh, you know, why do I got this feeling? You kind of like you looked up your name already. You kind of know what it means. I said, no, no, I didn't, you know. Um, and then he goes and explains, you know, says what my last name means. And then another one signs it. Okay, what's my last name? Long story short, after that week, and going by, I had to visit other places, come back in the next day. And my supervisor took me aside and says, Are you okay? I'm like, Yeah, I'm okay. Why? He says, Well, you just kind of seem like, you know, um, you know kind of quiet or so. You know, it's like, well, you know me. I've been here for so long. I'm no different than the way I've always been. And he says, well, and then he calls AC, mentions the VP, says, well, this one said that you were, you know, kind of seemed like something's bothering you, like you're wearing the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I says, really? And he's like, you know, asking me, he was asking, you know, this my supervisor, you know, did you know anything about it? Are you okay? Or what's going on? I'm asking all these questions. Are you okay at home? And, uh, sure, everything's all right. And I'm like, everything's fine. You know me. This is no different than the way I've been uh, as far as, you know, the way I act in public and around other people. There's no different. I said, oh, you're right. I mean, I, I told him the same thing. I don't notice anything different. But here's where I'm going back to your question, you know, is there, are there reasons why we'd be kind of hesitant to having some type of changing our code? Uh, because people at the upper levels start having conversations about you. <laughs> so they literally were having a conversation about me, about how I respond or how I act, if everything's okay with me, or I look like I'm, you know, burdened down and all this other stuff. You know? And I just found that interesting that there was a conversation that went on about uh, about me. So, uh, again, to kind of answer your question, that could be a reason when you find and you hear that upper management is having conversations about the way you behave at work or in public with other supervisors, managers, VPs, and whoever else. Uh, that could be a reason why you might change your code there. So I haven't done anything different as far as my code. Uh, I'm just starting to develop one, but uh, I haven't done anything different to, to reverse back. But I can see why people would uh, appear in situations like that where you're hearing upper management having discussions, then you start being questioned. Hey, everything okay with you? You're kind of different. You weren't acting. Uh, the same and so on. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> Appreciate that, sir. That certainly uh, illustrates the point. And uh, I would say that's another one. Unfortunately, black people, no black person on this planet, male or female, should be surprised to learn that white people, even the custodial staff, are having conversations about you. That should not be a surprise. White people. They network about their niggers worldwide. That is one thing I came to a conclusion about a long time ago. There was way too much evidence that is happening. Oh, it is amazing. That is one of the main things that they are talking about is their niggers. Uh, so you are being talked about all the time. Or even when you're behaving, you're still being talked about. Um, and you can just uh, keep that in mind as you as we as we proceed in the workplace. I've said consistently uh, white people and alcohol 
that is one of the most lethal combinations in the known universe. And I think you said as soon as the alcohol started to flow that you began to try to concoct a way to exit. Exactly. That's all of us. Uh, That sort of situation. Uh, And I've said, you know, you can come up with whatever reason you need to. The people that are about saying, hey, I use deception on the job. That might be a time to employ it, you know, whatever you need to. But that is a dangerous environment. And I would make it very clear uh, that I do not consume alcohol and I do not intend to be, you know, hanging out uh, in an environment where there's a whole lot of alcohol being consumed. That does not seem like, you know, the job that I was hired on to do. So, you know, however it needs to be phrased, whatever words need to be employed, that would be said and we move from there. Uh, And then uh, in terms of the whole, we've seen that before in terms of white people, that could, that's what I was thinking of our caller in Florida, white people don't just sit around and observe your responses. White people conduct experiments just to see how you respond. Our caller in Florida can verify he testified a few weeks ago about a white woman admitting that she was conducting an experiment in the workplace, uh, maybe even to take punitive action against some people, depending on, you know, how they responded. But that's, you know, the type of deception that we're dealing with, how dangerous whites are in the workplace. So, yeah, that certainly would be that certainly is a very intimidating to be working with someone that is that manipulative and looking at you and, oh, maybe you changed a little bit. You know, you didn't laugh at my joke like you did on Monday. Like, oh, man, maybe we don't need to keep you around. Absolutely. That is extremely intimidating in terms of applying codification in the workplace. Uh, we, oh, the person that dialed in. Last four digits. Seven, nine, zero, one, seven, nine, zero, one. Did you have commentary? Yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Wonderful. Uh, I'm a first time caller. My name is uh, Call me CJ. I'm uh, in Atlanta, and um, I just had to report a workplace incident where I have a a suspected white supremacist uh, co-worker who constantly um, tries to pass the work off uh, on me. And she did this earlier this week. She's done it many times since I've worked with her. And um, what she will do is ask me, hey, how to do this? For example, um, I had a, we were working on a project. And I arrived like at 6.30. She was there earlier. So I found out that she was working on this project that had a corrupted file. And she had to reach out to the uh, customer, get another file. But she waited like an hour before I got there and was working on it. And then she could not, like, didn't have the, like, the sense to, like, call up to the customer because they couldn't open the file. I mean, it seemed like the opposite thing to do. And and then there was another situation where she, uh, again, trying to um, send something, send another file, didn't know how to do it. She even asked me. And this time, usually I just say, I don't know, or I'll walk away. That's my codified uh, res- response to her, her questions. But this time, uh, I was nice. I said, oh, okay, well, let me look at it. So then when I tried to show her, like, resolve the issue and give her instructions, she said she didn't do it 
it. She's like, she um, seems to me that the answer I gave her, she did not even trust like the, like I was giving her misinformation or something. So as usual, my codified response is just to uh, either walk away or just act dumb. And then on top of that, she had the audacity to uh, make fun of a, a victim of white, uh, a, victim, a victim of racism, uh, it was a non-white female that was in it. And I ignored that, that comment as well. And thank you so much for uh, providing this, uh, this show for us to talk and uh, and I just thank you again for for your time and all the uh, information that you that I've received over the past year since I've been listening to your show. Thank you very much. Right on. I'm glad you were able to dial in. First time caller. That is awesome. I uh, hope the program has been continues to be worthy of your time and energy. It seems like that is so common. Like we've heard that so many times over the years. Uh, particularly, I would say, in an increasingly over the past year or so, uh, the white person passing, shiftless white people passing their work off onto black people on the job, uh, directly or indirectly. Sometimes uh, just by not doing their work, that work gets passed off to them. It's not like they're coming and saying, hey, uh, hey, Thomas, can you, you know, hey, CJ, can you knock this out for me? They're just not doing their work. And then, you know, it gets delegated to them, uh, redelegated to the black person or something of, to that effect. Uh, but it seems like, yeah, that is something that we're going to need to uh, develop a code uh, to stop that uh, or to keep that from becoming a major problem. Because it's a lot of folks have dialed in where that has become a major, major issue. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> seems like CJ is working his codification out uh, on how to deal with that, uh, to stop that directly. Uh, a plus. Uh, keep us informed. Uh, might even need to write that out because it seems other people might be in need of suggestions on that. Uh, do folks have uh, thoughts, any feedback uh, for CJ, the way he handled that? I think Mr. CJ followed uh, <clears throat> fine in, in his codification. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, whatever you have to do to inform that white person that I am not the person to take advantage of. And uh, from my experiences, for the most part, they would move on. Un unfortunately, to another non-white person. Uh, more than likely, they would try another non-white person if they have a habit of, you know, coming to to a one non-white person, they would go to another one because white people are not ignorant to their their uh, leverage that they have, racial leverage that they have on <clears throat> non-white people. They are very much aware of it, and they would move on to the next person. Good job, Mr. CJ, in my opinion. Greetings, Roz. Uh, greetings to you and the other callers and listeners. Um, I agree with the firefighter in Florida. Uh, greetings to you as well. <clears throat> I think you did a, a great job. Um, one thing I would start to do whenever that person's around, I will become busy. Too busy to speak, too busy to hear anything she has to say. So that way, you know, you're occupied with your work duties. You have no time to even give attention to anything that she's bringing to you. So she has to either find somebody else, like the firefighter was saying, or do the work herself. 
but I would be consistently busy, um, courteous, but busy. Every time, without fail, there would be not a time that she comes around that I would not disappear from her presence and find some way to be busy with something that's work-related. Um, and also to answer your question, Gus, uh, one thing that I find is the way that I codify myself from the beginning at the start of a job by having a reputation for being no nonsense, a reputation where I just I make it plain. I don't come. I didn't come to this job to make friends. I came to this job to, to to. I was hired for this job to do a job. So you know, I'm not here to be buddies with any of you. I'm not here to go out to dinner with any of you. I'm not here to drink with any of you. I don't drink. The last job I was on, they had beer on the job. They used to have Ciroc on the job. Um, let them know. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, I don't do holidays. I lay that out early. So there is no way for me to change. <laughs> I'm not changing from friendly to non-friendly. I'm courteous, respectful to everyone, um, all about the job, ask questions about the job. Everything is job-related. And I make it crystal clear from day one that that's what it's about with me. And I think that's where a lot of us as victims, um, unbeknownst to us, because this system is designed to retard our ability to think, myself included, um, that we walk into these jobs assuming that we're American citizens and we're going to get in here and fit in with these people and, you know, make some friends. And, and, and this is the way that we're trained. This is the way that this, the culture of this uh, corporation that they call a country, America, that's the way they condition all of us. We walk into these jobs thinking this way, and then we start getting the treatment that non-white black people get which is the racist treatment wholesale. And when that starts, sometimes it starts off really nice at a job. They'll, they'll treat you really nice and everyone's friendly and, you know, they'll get you a, a cup of coffee and a bagel or whatever the case may be. And you fall in line with that. And it's a disarming thing. But like Gus says, they are watching you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter how cordial they are with you. And you are not in the room. They are talking about you as long as you're aware of that and you function in a manner in which your character is unassailable and you do that from the very beginning and you keep a codified behavior from day one, there's no change because your behavior is consistent. But when you walk in the job and you're extra friendly and you, you kind of immerse yourself in the culture in a way in which you get them used to be you being open, you telling your personal business, you have pictures on your desk with your family, all the other stuff that these white people condition us to do. And then all of a sudden you listen to shows like the cows or a similar programs and you start to codify immediately. They've been watching you the whole time. The difference was you were acting in a concert with their program, so you were less of a threat. The moment you let, let that codification start to rear its head, you start taking down your pictures slowly but surely. Eventually, you start to change your conversation. No longer talk about the weekly basketball games or football games or whatever sport. All of that stuff are signs to them because they are psychoanalyzing you all the time. The main thing to remember is that white people are at war with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all areas of people activity, economics, education, entertainment, healthcare, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. They are doing it to us all the time. And it's hard for us to walk around that way, myself included sometimes, because you just want to be a basic human being with the ability to just be yourself and not have to always be on guard. That's not the world we live in. We are living amongst the most diabolical super predator that has ever walked on the planet on two legs. And if you understand that, no matter how civilized they are with you, no matter how nice they are with you, they are super predators. 
if we can walk around with that codification from day one, it will stop those sort of scenarios. For people who are already in a position where they've been at that job for a long time and they're starting to codify, you might have to take a different approach and lengthen the amount of time that you codify your behavior, but still be aware that you're being watched. But it's always easier to start with that codification from day one so there's no change. You're always consistent, and you have a no-nonsense reputation that is unassailable as far as your work ethic and the quality of your work and your, and your character. Thank you, and I'll mute my line. I just wanted to say I completely agree with what Ross said. I actually started to codify myself, um, like, after I've been on the job for a couple of years, and whites, especially white women, they picked up on that immediately. So it's definitely a lot harder, like as we talked about it on the show before, to codify yourself after you've been, you know, real friendly, real open-minded, even gone out with drinks with with um, white people, and then, you know, revert to as, after you start to learn more that that's when they start to learn and that's when they start to ask you more questions and try to see um, where your mindset is. So um, definitely great commentary from Roz. Thank you. Here, here. Uh, Red and Roz. Here, here. Great commentary. I'm reminded really quick just uh, what Roz said about how white people, they can be terroristic. And then they can stop and be, oh, we brought extra, you know, scones and lattes for you. And, you know, got to pass, you know, you can go to the movies for, for, for like, they can do that. Mr. Fuller has that in the code book too. And I chuckled because I spoke with a victim literally right before we went on the air. And she said the same thing. She said, uh, man, the white people, they are so good. They can be nasty and rude and then come back in the next moment and oh how are you doing and they're just so pleasant and considerate and nice (laughs) like uh and i mean that you talk about something that causes confusion like that really baffles a lot of us uh because we just don't we just don't understand that Uh, how does it go from you're totally terrorizing me and trying to get me fired in one moment and now it's you know let's go for tea and crumpets like what is going on this makes absolutely no sense that is racist man, racist woman. Uh, when it's my, when it's to my advantage, oh, I can be nice to the niggers. I can even stop telling nigger jokes for you know, good five minutes or so. Hang out, hang out with them. No problem, no problem. Like they are exquisite with that sort of misbehavior, really. Uh, and it again, it confounds a lot of us. We cannot be confused just because a white person is being nice for us a few, a few hours, even for a few years on a job. Uh, that does not, that should not take them off the racist suspect list. Uh, person, hey, Gus, can I chime in on that real quick, what you just said? Because I think it's very profound, honestly. Um, uh, is it okay? Can, can we, uh, we have one person who hasn't shared at oh. all. Let me uh, nab Okay, them, no problem. I'll then... mute myself. Just follow okay. right up behind them. Uh, the caller. No problem. Thank you. I'm myself. For sure. The caller at 0342. Hello. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Hi. Um, it's been a while since I've called. Um, racism. Um, I'm the gentleman that um, had the um, the ants of Marine trying to terrorize me by ambushing me on the job and um, with the family trucking business. So anyway, I had an incident today. Um, 
it was this morning, actually. And I had an assignment that I had to go to work with at a certain time. Um, I go to work, go on the job, come to find out that I have a leak, a leakage, a gas leakage on my truck. So I'm at the, um, the work site. No one is there. Uh, I called the immediate supervisor, which is one of the brothers or one of the owners of, of the company. I call him, text him, contact him, let him know what was going on. So this was probably about two and a half hours before I had to go to uh, my appointment. Um, my appointment was about about an hour away. So that was ample time. Um, within that time, he did not contact me back. Uh, he didn't respond or anything. So now I'm waiting on the mechanic. So I text him again. I text him to say, I have a leakage on the truck. I cannot move the truck. And I'm waiting on the mechanic. And my last statement was, the mechanic is not here. That was my last statement. So about the time the mechanic comes in, comes to work, he comes to work also. He's in his truck. I'm outside of mine. He's looking at me like, what's going on? So I walk over to his truck. He has this, this, um, this scowl on his face. And he asked me why I'm not gone yet, why I haven't left. And I said, I texted you uh, about two and a half hours ago and told you I had problems with the truck. And um, his response was, you have to let me know that. And I replied, I did. That's why I texted you. It was two and a half hours ago. I gave you ample time to get someone over here for me. So he um, started talking about that. I needed to call the mechanic. I said, no, I don't. He asked me, do I have a mechanic's number? I said, no, I don't. It's not my job to have a mechanic's number. I don't know the mechanic. I don't talk to people like that. You're my immediate supervisor. You gave me the assignment, not the mechanic. I called you. So um, he went on to talk about he's had a rough morning and um, things not going right. And he really needs me to, to be on top of my game and all of this. And I'm like, I'm on top of my game. So now I'm just standing outside of the truck while he's sitting in the truck. I'm standing outside of the truck, my arms crossed, biting my lip, trying not to say anything else. So then he starts pointing his finger. Um, and he made a comment as, um, what you need to do, you need to let me know because I set up these appointments for for you to be there, and I need for you to be there. So I'm like, hold on. I said, I'm going to say this one more time. I said, pull your phone out. I'm going to pull my phone out, and we're going to read this text together, what I sent you. So he read the entire text, except for the last line. The last line was, the mechanic is not here yet. So he read the text again. I said, what does the last line say? Oh, it doesn't matter. I said, it does matter. Because it matters because the mechanic is not here yet. The mechanic came this exact same time that you came. You had two and a half hours to call the plant, 
to let them know I was going to be late and call the mechanic and get the mechanic here. It is not my job to call the mechanic or anybody else. It's yours. My job is I do my job. That's all I need to do. So he's like, hold on. I don't want to make you mad. I said, I'm not mad. I'm far from mad. So as he started to climb out of his truck, I'm outside the truck on the ground. As he started to climb out of his truck, I just stood at the door. And I wouldn't let him out. I wanted him to ask me to move. So he cracked the door. He told that I wasn't moving. He closed the door back up. So at this point, he was like, well, you know, I don't want, I don't want any, any trouble. I don't want to make you mad. How about let's shake hands? So I'm thinking to myself, you know, where in the hell is he going with this? So I shake his hand. I'm like, okay, now what? And um, he was like, he tried to break the ice with me, asked me about another another employee. Well, have you seen so-and-so? And I'm like, no. And, and that's not important right now. What's important right now is that you're trying to tell me that I did not complete my assignment. And I'm just over here just goofing off. But I've called you and let you know. And I'm not going to back down. You know that you had that information, and I know that you had that information, and you did not do your job. And I left it at that, and I walked on off. But, you know, these are the, the, the types of games that they like to play. They bring your personal problems to work. They smile in your face. They really don't care for you at all. And I let them know I, I feel the exact same way. I have no compassion for nothing. Don't ask me about anybody else. I do not care. So that's my day. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm sorry you had to deal with all that uh, on on your job situation. That is, you know, the system of white supremacy at work. Um, I guess a couple things that I would suggest maybe um, I, in, in workplace settings, uh, I strongly recommend that non-white people steer away from uh, making accusations against white people because the burden of proof then falls on you if you make an accusation. And a lot of times, uh, non-white people get in serious trouble, uh, whether it's, you know, accusing or not, you didn't accuse him of being a racist, but, you know, saying that he didn't do his job, um, that can be construed as an accusation. Uh, those types of things I try to steer, uh, away from, uh, and just stay, I, consistently pretty much recommend staying in the question lane, which I think you did do in referring back to the text message where you had alerted him that the mechanic was not present uh, at the moment uh, when he was, you know, coming back and trying to make a big deal of things later on. Um, I think also like just a lot of this, it seems to me is purposely trying to agitate you. Like that's my view. And I've pointed out, I think, racist this is one of their main tactics on the job to just do things to be annoying uh to upset us and then if we get angry then they can have an excuse to fire us or at minimum they get to have a good laugh that's you know what chimp out is all about like yes we got on the niggas nerves for the day and you know we'll look forward to coming in and doing that again tomorrow maybe we'll get a little bit of work done in between getting on the black people's nerves like that's that is the mentality of you know many racists um, so just understanding that and not allowing that to get us upset. I also, just in my opinion, this is just my counter racist code. Uh, I don't see 
the value in terms of how it benefits just to make statements about how, you know, you don't care about the people on the job or you don't have any compassion or concern or whatever it is. I just don't know the value of making those type of declarations. Uh, as I've stated for years, I'm a big advocate of staying in the question lane. Uh, I've just found that frequently making statements where we're just volunteering our opinions or views on people, coworkers, the world, uh, I've just seen where a lot of times that makes more problems for us without solving any problems. Um, like your views, that's fine or what have you, but that doesn't necessarily, I don't, I just haven't seen consistently where broadcasting those type of sentiments is advantageous to the black person. I could be in error. Uh, do we, may I answer that? I'm sorry. I said, I asked may I answer that? Uh, if you can make it concise. Yes, I will. Um, as, as for the, um, I have no compassion on all of that. Those were just, those were internal thoughts. That was a part of the conversation. Um, the, 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 um, the core of the conversation was that, um, I contacted him and he, he insisted on trying to make me say that I did not when we both had the same information. So that's, that's it. All right. I appreciate that clarification. Why not? Uh, the person who yes, dialed sir. in, I did not forget about Roz. Uh, the person who dialed in the last four digits, seven, nine, seven, eight, seven, nine, seven, eight. Did you have commentary? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. This is Chantel. <laughs> um, hello, everyone. <laughs> Greetings. Um, yeah. Um, so just agreeing with what Ross had said before, um, and who, uh, the other uh, young lady who was talking before, um, in regards to, cause I, at my job, I wasn't codified in the beginning. And then I started, I've only been at the job for a year and a half. I started getting codified as of, uh, this year. And I have noticed that a lot of, um, especially, um, a lot of the white female coworkers, um, one of them used to be my boss. Um, she's been, you know, noticing that I've been like really serious about my job. When everybody would crack jokes on something, I'm not laughing. <laughs> uh, so they're, you know, they seem to be, you know, like my boss, he asked the other day, you know, is everything okay? Um, Cause he knows I'm not talkative and they see that to be a problem. If I'm not, engaging in conversation with them about stuff that's not work related. And I have actually already told my boss that I'm here to do my job. I'm not here to um, engage in conversations that's not work related. And his response to that was, okay, okay. But you can tell he was bothered by what I had said. Um, but um, yeah, being codified after the fact um, is, it's a little bit harder because um, now they're really zoning in on you and really trying to figure things out. Like, what what do you know, don't know? Um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot harder. Uh, kind of wish I was codified in the beginning, but, you know, something to uh, remember if I, uh, you know, go and get a new job. Um, that's definitely something I'll have to uh, make sure that I do. 
what prevented you from being codified at the beginning of your job? What what prevented me from not being codified in the beginning? What stopped you? You said you wish you, it would have been better if you had been codified from the beginning. What prevented you from being codified yeah. at the beginning? Um, I, some, I wasn't really thinking at the time in the beginning. I was really more concerned about getting a job because the previous job was that. Um, I wasn't able to move up in the company because they didn't have any positions available and I really need to make money. So I was really more focused on kind of starting on a clean slate um, and pretty much I actually was kind of like my focus, I guess, was different. I was actually trying to get along with people and maybe see maybe I was I was more into the idea of maybe is this the job for me? Um, you know, I'm going to try to get along with people. And obviously that backfired on me because I did notice some people started cracking, like being very sarcastic with certain jokes, um, which I was like, uh, why is that person saying that? Um, I can't remember some of the things, but I do did notice it was a difference. And from what I understand, there was a, a non-white uh, black male who used to work there. And he actually told my boss one time um, he was in the software and he noticed on my boss's end, you get to add like, you know, different client matters for the software we're using. It's a legal management software. And he noticed that you can use people's names and Terrence's name was on there. And next to the matter, it said criminal. His response was, and my boss told me what his response was. I guess he wanted to see what my reaction to this was. He said that um, that's racist. And, oh, no, he says racial profiling. And my boss said, how's that racial profiling? He's like, well, I'm black, and the case name you put next to my name is criminal. So, yeah, you're racially profiling. Like, he literally just came out with that. And my boss was like, oh, like, I don't understand. Like, how how is that racial profiling? Can you believe he said that? And I didn't say anything. I just was silent. He didn't agree or anything. And that's, that guy, he, he quit the job. That does so. go to my earlier point about not making accusations on the job, uh, where I've said consistently I've yeah. not seen where that's been beneficial, <clears throat> where he made an accusation yeah. that that well, that he was being racially profiled, and then you said eventually he quit the job. Uh, like, what you can do is yeah. just take a fuck. Could I, you know, could I get a copy of my file uh, where my name and criminal are, are there or take a photo or whatever you need um, just to document that, you know, this is how I am uh, being filed at work as a criminal, <laughs> you know, and again, you're being talked about. I'm sure that that didn't just happen because this one white person said, oh, that would be funny to have Darius, you know, to make sure that he gets listed as a criminal. I'm sure that took at least one, if not several white people uh, working in conjunction to make that happen <laughs> like, uh, and to, you know, coordinate and chit chat about, oh, that's so funny. And, you know, this is why we're going to uh, label him uh, or what have you like they the same thing we've been talking about before. White people talk about uh, white people talk about black people on the job and away from the job. That's one of the primary their primary area uh, of focus. Um, make sure we didn't miss anybody uh, before. We run out of time. The caller, I think you dialed in on the headset. Did you have commentary you wanted to get in? The person, I think you're on a headset. 
we miss anybody? Looks like there was a caller who dialed in. I think you're on the the vote. Hello? Oh, Can I be heard? Yes, yes, sir. <clears throat> hey, uh, Keita again. I just wanted to get in the last comment. This was something I noticed. Um, this happened to me. Oh, um, the whites, they have a funny way of trying to ask where you're from. Uh, they like to, you know, when they're making small talk, um, this last time it happened a while ago, but I was doing this project at work and, uh, you know, I was having some issues with answers, getting the answers right. And he came up to me and he said, uh, what school do you go to? What's, he, he, he asked me what school uh, did I go to? You know, I told the school I went to, that's not a predominantly white institution, it's an HBCU, but it's a damn good school. You know, they definitely taught me well, but it was just the way the comment was phrased. I've noticed they always try to belittle you at any moment and it's used as like a type of psychological warfare because they know because they're you know i could tell he's very much aware of stereotyping so i'm pretty sure he knew that no matter what that would linger in my head and i don't you know and uh that's that's all i wanted to share absolutely <clears throat> same thing i was saying before about uh white people that mentality uh, I, you know, I'm having fun. My day is a little bit better if I get to upset and pluck a black person's nerves. If I can put them down or ridicule the school that they went to or make them feel uh, bad, inferior, inept, uh, that, you know, I feel a little bit better about myself and my uh, place on the planet. Like that is consistent uh, with the way that they function. Um uh, making sure I did not forget. Roz, did you want to get your commentary in? Uh, yes. Um, uh, I would just first, I wanted to say to the uh, blackmail caller who had the incident with his boss who didn't read the text, um, I would record that incident, take a screenshot of the correspondence so that it's dated. Um, just keep that in your, in, in, in your file, in your back pocket, in case you can use it to your advantage down the road because he's going to try something else. I just thought of um, Delectable Negro, like uh, Gus was saying, consumption. That was his way of consuming you, consuming your energy, the energy you were giving off. He was uh, absorbing it and feeding off of it. And, um, um, excuse me, um, Gus, when you, when you were... Um, Oh man, I just had everything about what, what was the last thing that you were talking about? Because that's what I wanted to chime in on, and I have they can I have be some nice. really serious... white people can be nice. Yes. And then... yes, 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 yes. Um, that is that that being nice and terroristic to me. Whenever a white person is nice to me, my antennas go up immediately. I I don't ever take anything that they do and just revel in it. You know, I I practice non-attachment. I I don't ever get attached to. Uh, blame or criticism, and I don't get attached to praise. With white people, whenever they're quote unquote nice to me, my my ire is immediately drawn because I'm figuring that there's some machinations going on that I'm not consciously aware of yet, and I need to watch that person. And what that is is another form of warfare. You know, you keep you're keeping your enemy off balance. That's something that we read about in Delectable Negro quite regularly, where these white people would act nice one minute and next thing they'll be skinning them and skinning the slave and seasoning them. Um, this is what they do. It's a it's a you know, like I've always said, when you think of, of, of uh white supremacy, white people, racism, which is white people, 
it's it's a combination of psychopathy, sociopathy, acute narcissism, and a sheer terror of genetic annihilation. When you put that together, you get white supremacy, and that is why they function like they do. It is it is a hunting aspect of the way they behave. So that disarming behavior, if you go back to the episodes uh, Gus did on Jeffrey Dahmer, he knew which black males he could convince to come home with him, drug them, kill them, well, rape them, kill them, and eat them. That's what they're doing with us. The difference is they're not going as far as Jeffrey Dahmer, as far as taking it to the ultimate extreme. It's sometimes psychological, but it's the same principle. They're predators. So we walk around and we're fooled because they're hominids. They walk on two legs. They can smile. And, and it's, it's the white validation as well. I think we all have that little, you know, that little, white chip in us that kind of goes off a little bit when they pay us a little bit of attention and it seems positive. All of that are disarming techniques. They will rape you after doing that. They'll put their fingers in your food or other body parts or, or fluids in your food after doing that. They'll give you money and then, and then get you kicked out of your house. Anything that they could do to you to disarm you in order to better terrorize you is what they're doing. So if you think along those lines, every time they're in your presence, you can actively protect yourself by knowing what to expect from them down the road, and you just do things to not put yourself in a position where they can be take advantage of you. Thank you. Now I'm my line. Indeed, indeed. On the last 60 seconds, I will clock uh, lovely Chantel Cowbell. Uh, in the last 60 seconds, I think you had said that unless I'm incorrect before we went on the air, you were saying that if you are having chit chat, just, you know, conversation that's not really work related with white people, that that can open the door for them to get in some tacky, non-constructive commentary. If I recall correctly, if that's true, do you think you could share uh, how you came to that conclusion in 60 seconds or less? How I came to the conclusion of what do you mean? That having conversation with white people that's not work related, that that can open the door for something, you know, non constructive for them to mistreat you or just to be tacky, what have you. Um, well, I've had uh, one person I talked to ask me like an inappropriate question. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say it'd be racist, but it was more on along the lines of something dumb like, would you uh, date a midget or a dwarf, or would you want your parents to be blind or deaf? Mm. Yeah, that's what I mean. Just total nonsense. Uh, And I would just make it real clear that I'm not going to entertain any of that. And I think what Raza said before, I think Mr. Edward Williams to just make it very clear from day one uh, that you are serious, uh, that you are about your job, that I'm not here to socialize. I'm not here to talk about sports, local affairs, politics, Donald Trump, uh, anything else. Uh, We're here to do a job. That's what I signed up for. Let's get to work and stick to that every day that 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 will behoove you as a black person system of white supremacy, I think, worldwide. Uh, with that, we'll be here tomorrow. Uh, France Fanon, The Wretched of the Earth, study session number seven. We have three sessions left, and we will be done. Woof! 
looking forward. Uh, we'll be here Saturday, compensatory call-in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and Dr. Uh, Ani, she will be here, uh, Dr. Amanisha Ani, she'll be here on Monday. Uh, we'll be talking about, we'll get our update on the University of Albany 3, the black female students, uh, they, speaking of white people and alcohol, uh, they were verbally assaulted on the bus. Uh, this was 2016. There was a big altercation. Uh, the only people that were criminally charged were the black students, of course. Uh, they faced expulsion, uh, expulsion, uh, suspension, legal charges, uh, just really nasty situation all the way around. We'll get an update on that. Uh, that's this coming Monday. Dr. Ani be with us a uh, second time. Uh, if you have questions, problems, you cannot find something in the archives. Uh, if you have workplace racism commentary, just drop it untiljustice at gmail.com. Again, the address untiljustice at gmail.com. Uh, we can read your commentary next week on the air. Uh, with that, thanks for everyone tuning in. I hope it was worthy of your time and energy. First time caller CJ, all the rest of the folks, uh, much obliged uh, for sharing your commentary. Folks listening to the archives, hope it was worthy of your time and energy. Uh, with that, I will again recommend, I think today, tomorrow, last day, uh, or tomorrow rather, is the first official day of autumn. Uh, definitely, if you want to get out, frolic, enjoy all of that, great. Sobriety would still be best. Uh, you do not want to be out and about. And then all of a sudden, bump into a race soldier, badge or no, and have to make life-saving decisions. Uh, that is a dangerous proposition anytime, really. White people and alcohol is always a dangerous proposition. If you are intoxicated, oh man, it can get bad very, very fast, uh, especially if you are going to be in a vehicle as a driver or even as a passenger. You do not want to be under the influence. Uh, just sobriety should be something that we proudly promote as long as the system of white supremacy exists. With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.